What's up, everybody? You are listening to the Playing On Podcast. My name is Carl Markowski, and thank you for joining me. First off, a big congratulations goes out to San Diego Dynasty for their win in the Windy Cindy Open. Windy Cindy Open? It could be, or it could be the Windy City Open. Uh, congratulations to all those guys. It was uh, it was so cool to go back and visit and kind of see everybody in true paintball fashion. Everybody's just going to work. Um, man, the tournament scene is awesome. Uh, and I was able to take my little boy there and kind of have him get a nice little glimpse into that whole world, which is uh, chaos. Everything's happening all at once. And it was cool to see paintball in person, uh, tournament paintball in person. Uh, he had a really good time, and I was able to get up and commentate and take him around, get him behind the scenes. It was uh, it was awesome, and it was cool to see just the top teams going at it in person again. And there's nothing like it, man. The the webcast they do an amazing job, uh, Maddie and and everybody involved just do an amazing job with the webcast. But there is nothing like being there, and just the sights, the sounds, the feels, the, the everything. Um, so if you ever have the chance to get out and get to see one in person, I highly recommend it. Even if you're not playing, man, it was painful that I wasn't playing, but I, it, it was great just being around, uh, some familiar faces and some, uh, some paintball sounds. Yeah. I'm a nerd. So, uh, getting into it, this, uh, this episode is brought to you by Melovio. Melovio. I have been using their CBD products for a few years now, and I use them for everything. I have a daily CBD oil that I take along with some, uh, salve for my, for knees and achy joints, and I also use a... Uh, I used to use their pre-rolls, their flower. Uh, before I go to bed, it helps with sleep. It helps with any kind of pain. Uh, if, if you at all have been thinking about trying CBD, head over to M-E-L-L-O-V-E-O.com. They make all of their own stuff, and it is amazing. They have pet CBD. They have capsules. They have edibles. They have honey, coffee, tea, all kinds of product that you can try if you have ever been curious about it or if you are an avid CBD user and you are looking for maybe some other product. I tell you what, man, if you try this stuff, it will be hard to go anywhere else because it just it works. So I've turned so many people on to the salve. It's crazy. It's got to be, I mean, I haven't talked to them, but I, it's got to be one of their best-selling products is the, is the salve. Um... I personally personally like the the potent stuff, the 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 fifteen hundred and up stuff. That's what works well for me. <clears throat> Excuse me, but um, but they have all kinds of products out there for you for you guys to try. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh my goodness. But if you uh, to make it a little bit more enticing, if you use the promo code capital T P O P, you will get fifteen percent off your entire order, and there you go. Try it out. Give it a go. Or if you just like it in general, keep using the promo code and keep buying the product. I promise you will not be let down. Uh, thank you to Melavio. 
we are also brought to you by Charm City Paintball. In a world full of headbands all over the place, I know it's kind of a frenzy at the moment of, of headgear out there, but I can truly say that Charm City has made some of the most enticing headbands uh, along with the best quality and the most durable that I have ever worn. Uh, he has all kinds of product on his Facebook page along with his Instagram and you can scroll through and see what he's been up to and what he's creating. Uh, or if you're looking for something a little more specific, you can actually contact him, uh, drop in his DMs and request something special because he likes all kinds of stuff. He's a happy guy. He's an open guy, Mr. Mike. Um, but he is very busy. He is pumping out a lot of headbands, so make sure you check out and uh, check out what he has available because it does go fast. And uh, let's see, the last thing he posted, he has some purple stuff up there right now, but he's always creating new things. Make sure you keep an eye out for all of it. And uh, yeah, and let him know that I sent you over there uh, to check out some headbands. I know there's been a lot of people that have had some and they come up and tell me, and they said, hey, man, these headbands are awesome. And then I say, yeah, I know. They are good. Uh, they work really, really well. And he makes head wraps as well. So headbands and head wraps. So if you're looking for something affordable, high quality, and just great material, you can count on Charm City Paintball. Thank you, Mike. Um, we are... Yeah, that's it for this episode. So um, let's get into it. My guest on the podcast for this episode is a young man who writes for Iconic Paintball. He wrote for, uh, I believe it was ProPaintball.com, and he has been coming out with some very intriguing articles. Uh, he had one about Dynasty, one about Marcus Nielsen. Uh, he is currently... Actually, not currently. There, there is another one up about the 50 greatest players of all time. And he has a little thing in his satchel of treats about the iconic paintball awards. Now, what this will do, and he will be putting out more information um, about this in detail than what I can tell you right now. But there's going to be there's an icon of the year, offense, defensive player of the year, snake player of the year, all kinds of awards going out. Uh, and there will be judges, probably the right now, the four people who have been watching uh, plenty of paintball, and that's Matty Marshall, Rich Telford, Tom Cole, and Quinn himself. So it's not going to be biased. It's going to be about people who are watching the game. And uh, honestly, his articles are very, very well written. You can find them on iconicpaintball.com, and he has all kinds of stuff up there he has he's also a photographer and has let's see he has a section uh, about me if you want to look up a little bit more about him um obviously he has his articles but check him out he's actually that iconic uh awards are in a uh, cohesive brothership i would say with hormesis so they're doing something along with it so it's a very, very cool concept. I think more things need to come out like this. He's doing a, 
more articles and coming out with more content all the time. So, without me babbling and butchering it up enough, here is the podcast with Quinn Nadu. All right. Sweet. It's recording now. Dude, I got into, it was the Mike Paxson and, and B. Paxson podcast. We got like a half hour in, maybe maybe 45 minutes even. And I was like, just kind of had some things pop up on the computer and I moved something. And I'm like, where's this little window for the program that I used? Like, where, where are we seriously not recording? We have not been recording. It was, it was terrible. Luckily, the podcast still ended up halfway decent. Yeah, um, dude, that's brutal because like... Oh. It is. Yeah, because like, how do you go back and like retell the stories? You know what I mean? It's weird because you have to kind of touch on it a little bit because it's still interesting to me. But it's almost like you have to, you have to retell it in a in a in a different way. Like you have to kind of maybe be a little bit more elaborate than what you were. And it's it's kind of weird. It's it's yeah. almost it's kind of cool in a way because you get to kind of replay the story again. But maybe something comes back and something that you would have left out originally unconsciously now kind of works its way into the story and I think that's why people can listen to podcasts is because even though it's the same person kind of hosting the podcast I think they have they get to have these different uh perspectives with the different guests that they have on and you kind of kind of mold yourself on each and every one of uh with the different people yeah, but I kind of always really enjoyed yours because I feel like sometimes, like over the years, there's been different paintball podcasts, and I just feel like after like five or six episodes, I'm like, man, I know this guy's story, and he just keeps retelling it a thousand times. <laughs> but I feel like with you, with all of your guests, there's like these kind of cool, unique things that you know, no one, you know, stories that no one knows about or hasn't heard before. Uh, so you know, that's always super interesting. Yeah, I always get nervous too because because I do talk about or at least catch myself talking about the same thing sometimes. Like if I'm maybe reiterating a an opinion or a point of view or a uh, some kind of perspective on something, I notice I'd be like, I'm sorry, I keep saying this, but it's but it, I believe it's something. At least by now, with if people have listened to me, I feel like they know what I'm passionate about and what I feel would work. And I really think throughout the years, I'm just, I'm trying not to be conceited about this or trying to be like, I don't know if the word is facetious, but um, think that some of the things that I've said on the podcast and I've said in the past have kind of worked their way into some of the leagues and maybe to some of the, the kind of what might be occurring in, you know, the next few years or something like that, or just ideas in general. And it's kind of... I'd like to think I might have had a, a slight part of that, but um, but I, I just like being able to contribute. Yeah, more than I absolutely anything. do think you do because I mean, like naturally, what you do on here. I mean, you start a dialogue with a lot of stuff that you know some people don't even think about. Some of the stuff you bring up sometimes, and you know, I could easily see some of the league runners kind of saying like, "Hey, you know, I haven't <laughs> thought about that way. That's a great idea. Yeah, I just need one of them to uh, bite onto the seven man thing. I know you're a huge <laughs> proponent of that stuff." Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's a great mix of of X-Ball and, if you believe it or not, I think, it's a good mix of the X-Ball and 10-Man, which so many people love, is because there's a story behind each game because each game is individually important. I mean, yes, the points themselves yeah. in X-Ball are individually, individually important, and they are their own story, but I feel like there's so much weight that hangs on one single game or... or 
or best of three games or something like that. Or even, no, I'd say one game like prelims. All your eight prelim games matter, and it's such a finite moment in time rather than X-Ball where you have these multiple chances. But each one has its own place, right? So 10-man and X-Ball, they yeah. both have their own their own place. But I just I always thought that 7-man, if configured correctly, would be such a great medium to uh, put on profile for whoever doesn't really know what paintball is. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it's kind of what you said too. I mean, like these the games back then had like that finality to them. Like I feel like now uh, with how Expo is, it's like I mean, I do it all the time. I'll be at an event and we'll lose like two or three points. So I'm like, you know, who cares? We'll just go out and win, you know, mm-hmm. four more and win the match. Yeah. But with like seven man, it was like you know, if you lose two prelim games or something, and you're like, you know, like shit, like this might be done. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And in, in 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 a certain weird perspective, um, you have to. Not saying that, and it's weird to not, not to try and contradict myself as I'm trying to like say what I'm trying to say, but because obviously in X Ball every point is important. Playing your game every single point um, and playing at its peak every single point is obviously important. But I feel it like with Seven Man having those games where it's like you just you have to be on. I mean everything seems like it's such a thin line with your prelim games and everything that you the fine line that you ride. I feel like turns people into um uh even better players i I don't know if there would be a lot of players of today of like the the top ranking players besides maybe maybe a few like considerations like maybe the the russians um that wouldn't be the players they are today without seven man yeah absolutely i we actually talk about that all the time at our practices because like uh, the team I play Expo with, we have like a lot of seven man guys on that roster that were playing, you know, like higher level uh, NPPL stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like we have younger kids we try to bring in all the time and we kind of see that same thing. We're like, man, they just don't have like that seven man thought process to where it's like they can go here with the job. Stuff can go to shit and they can like read the field, see what's going on and mm-hmm. kind of, you know, salvage that. I feel like a lot of times the way Expo teaches players now, it's very like xyz in the sense of like do this go here do this and seven man was kind of more chaotic in a sense because i mean you you played it a little more loose because you knew like you know hey we can do some crazy deep runs off the break because you know if we lose two guys we got five more back there we'll figure shit out um you know but i mean you know how it is with expo i mean you saw it all the time with aftershock if you were going to say off break and you got shot chances were 99 percent of the time that point was pretty much done you know what i mean yeah yeah it's yeah it's it's tough and i always think of it like this too like 10 men is the war seven men was the battle and x ball is like the trenches i feel like yeah, that's for sure that's, that's a kind good way of, to look at it <laughs> yeah and uh because it's just it's so like you know ground and pound with x ball whereas you could have a little bit more um uh bend in your game with seven man whereas 10 man is almost I mean, dare me say, boring at times, but <laughs> but it's like you yeah, have. Yeah, I mean, it can be for sure. I mean, I guess it depends. Yeah. Because... Um... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just depends on I guess where you play, right? Everybody's shooting different. I'd say it depends on the layouts too. I mean, you played ICC. I mean, there's uh there's some layout like you can get on some of those woods games where they are like boring until like the last thirty seconds when everything goes to shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Not to talk on Seven Man too much. I feel like from my perspective, like I write a lot of stories, obviously. Yeah. Um, 
kind of looking back at my memories when I was a kid and like playing Seven Man and stuff, there was really like a bigger kind of storyline to all of it, I felt. Just because I feel like with how the game is now and everything's so like fluid and positionless, it's really like everyone just kind of does a job and that's it, I feel like. I feel like back then, uh, the way Seven Man played, it really set up the storyline for like heroes to really emerge. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of why like when you kind of have these conversations about like the best player of all time, I think Ollie's always at the top of the list because I just feel like how the format is now, it doesn't really like work itself that those kind of like heroic Ollie level guys can exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Just because I mean like the shit he did then, you just can't do that now. And that's, you know, partially because of skill and partially just because how the game works. Yeah. Um, So that's one thing I do miss with Seven Man is I feel like the stories meant a lot because like I feel like now, I mean, there's obviously those big teams that you like to follow. But, I mean, I remember when I used to watch old MPPL games, like, I cared about every pro team that was on the field. They all (laughs) had, you know, like, their different kind of heroic guy that was, like, always going to pull some crazy shit out. Or it was, like, a team like Sedition where they had, like, a guy like Chris Cole who's, like, a super OG guy that might shoot, like, five guys from the Mm -hmm. back line. Um, I just feel like that's kind of lost a little bit. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. That's a good way to say it. Yeah, and it was – I know exactly how you feel and what you're saying too. And it's an interesting point what you, how you describe it, positionless. You know, thinking about it too and watching the game currently, which is an iteration of, of X-Ball, of old. And, you know, cause X-Ball, because X-Ball has changed and kind of molded in different ways and we tried different things. And, but relatively, it's the same thing. Um, but really, yeah, it's it's like this one-two punch kind of thing where you have – you don't have back guys. It's mid guys and front yeah. guys. I mean not – and I know I'll get shit for this, but it's not like – but but if you think about it, Yosh or like, or who played back center, right? Blake Yarber from the, for the most part for Dynasty. Yeah, right? really. It seemed like for back center at Chicago, it was like they took like the most versatile guys on their roster and put – I mean like Tyler Harmon was playing the home for Heat a bunch of points out there. I mean it's just mm-hmm. – it's weird. Yeah, and I, I think that shows you the diversity of Blake Yarber, um, and, and mm-hmm. not 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 to take anything away from the rest of the team because obviously there was amazing performances on uh, on, on across the field. Um, like I feel like Alex because I just listened to the podcast with Alex on Marcelo uh, Play the Game podcast. If you yeah. guys don't listen to it, make sure you head over there check it out. Uh, great stories going on there. Um, but it's cool because how he described it wasn't anything much more than like ground and pound like literally what it is like he knows a few Mm -hmm. times when he had to like stay still but it was just killer instinct of being having that fight or fight or flight uh kind of mentality and and that kid mentality and that angst of when you were first starting to play and play tournament ball and he just kind of went with it and on that field it worked so well it it was yeah absolutely amazing to watch yeah, it was really uh, – it was interesting because, I mean, like you're talking about Alex. Like it was so weird to me because I was thinking like, man, I don't think I've seen Alex go to a snake off the brakes. It's like 2008 or nine, or, you know, towards the end of like Angel's time there. And it was like so surprising to see that. And he was just, you know, like unstoppable all weekend. Like you're saying, he just did like that ground and pound style. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But, you know, I could have easily seen Alex have been the same level of effectiveness he played like that can or the two on that side. You know yeah. what I mean? I just – Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was a good event, though. Yeah, you know, th- thinking about it too. With um, there was, I I had the the thought that they were going to win when I saw like a quick like boomerang of Alex coming off the field, 
and handing his gun to somebody and like his goggles were up and everything. And for some reason it looked like an old school mid two thousands kind of photo that I remember. And it was one, it was a photo where they yeah. won the event. And I was like, that's as, as silly as it sounds. I was just like, it looked like old school Alex and it just, it was like, he's on point. He's, he's on yeah, point. I kind of I touched on that in an article I just did on them. Alex is really interesting when you watch him on the field because uh, I mean, like every player obviously has like different levels of competitiveness when they're on and off the field, mm-hmm. but his is like so stark and noticeable and just fun to watch because I mean, like it's really like the second he walks through the net, he is like a different person for the next like two minutes where he's like this incredibly like fierce, fiery, aggressive, like wants to shoot everyone on the field type of guy, mm-hmm. and then the second he comes back off through the nets he's like back to like his kind of funny joking self like keeping everything like kind of calm and rational in the pits um yep. you know it's just fun to watch him yeah i mean you can you can tell the passion and i think he has a great instinct for the yeah, game yeah for sure and i think that's what he really carries on the field with him he just he really goes by his gut and you can tell and just because I've yeah, been... Yeah, and that's hard to teach. Yeah, him and I have had so many interactions uh, on the field throughout the years. And you could just tell, like, he we just like playing against each other. At least I, I, I like playing against him, um, you know, and it, he because he brings that kind of that out in you. Because he's one of those guys, too, where he, he explained it in the podcast um, on Play the Game podcast, where he had that mentality of, like, uh, he unconsciously or consciously, he would kind of, like, think about what guy he wanted to shoot or what guy he thought was important on the field to get off and he's like i'm gonna i'm gonna fucking shoot that guy that's my target even though my job is this i in the back of my head that's my target that's who i we want off the field to have a better percentage to win the match or game or point or whatever yeah and i did like that when he brought that up um because i feel like a lot of players today are really not like one dimensional in their thought processes with how they kind of go through each step of the field but it's very much so like hey they have a snake let's shoot that guy oh hey i heard they have like you know a dorito three let's shoot that guy where i think like his way of looking at it, like hey let's just isolate the best guy on their team and just take him out of the and game work him because uh, yeah. even yeah i mean during the finals you saw it i mean they keyed up on billy and archie and they basically said we are taking these guys out of the game and removing all the support around them and forcing the other three guys to beat us and you know it worked flawlessly so i think that's a great way to look at you know from a strategic side man if you can be consistent if you're if your back guys can be consistent at shooting one to two guys off the break every single point and have those twos really be working from their heels from the get it's like it's amazing what what the wear and tear it could do on the opposing team yeah, I mean, because I mean, I'm sure you've dealt with it a million times, uh, kind of playing the style you did. It can certainly be frustrating when you're just keyed up every single game and you feel like you know you took ten different routes and you just can't, can't find one way that you're not getting shot. Yep, it's so, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and I think about it though. I'm like, you know, I, I think about it. I'm like, well, you know, I got to go through there anyway, so I'm just gonna try and figure just uh, maybe a little bit different way. Like, I'll even try different. I believe I tried different patterns of like running and shooting. And, and finding my gaps, like I would tr- I would find my gaps where I need to put a ball right after like a bunker and to be able to have my most accurate shot downfield or most more than likely um, up the gut at the guy. I think that's it's so huge. And I feel like I feel like there is a still a decent amount of like running and shooting. But I feel like there's a lot of like spots where guys still just kind of run to 
and, and not throw up their gun for some reason because I got into it a little bit. I didn't get into it, but I was talking to um, uh, Rich Telford about this a little bit, and I was like, I think I think the guy running to a corner has just a good um, uh, of a chance of shooting the guy who's shooting at him from the center of the field. And he goes, he goes, no, 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 that's not right. That's right. No, the guy in the center standing still has your best shot because he just has that center. I was like, yeah, that's true. But even though you're shooting at this spot, I'm still a moving target. You're not a yeah. moving target. And and I yeah, I mean, like, I mean, it's true. You know, when you you know, if you round, you know, the can that feeds into the snake side, you know, OK, if I round it and I'm right at this line, I know I'm going to be right where that home guy's standing. Whereas, you know, you have 10 different routes. You can be coming out of that back line, different depths, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Different speeds. He has so many factors he has to tie into where he drops his lane where you're just you just know if I'm right here at this angle, I'm on him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think kind of what you're saying too with running gun, I do find it interesting because I find myself doing it a lot as well. I feel like a lot of guys just assume like, oh, there's no way you can make that make it to that spot shooting. And I just feel like a lot of times you just like if you just try and do it, you realize like, hey, like I can really shoot my way almost anywhere I want to go. You know what I mean? You like it's it's insane, dude. I ran. It was 15 on 14 or whatever it was during the All Star game at ICC. Yeah, and I ran backwards. To snake one and <laughs> yeah, I was watching that it was wild. <laughs> like that's I'm telling you it's I'm obviously I got lucky there was a far you know a fair bit of luck inside of there but at the same thing to have the idea of just knowing and trying it and doing it is the first hurdle and if you can get past that the hurdles get smaller meaning the decisions making those decisions aren't as difficult anymore because, you know, because growing up, um, at least myself, it was really – I really struggled just looking at the hurdle and, and mm-hmm. like going, man, you know, it's, I think it's a little bit too tall. I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if and, – and if I do, if I do, will I clear it? And, I, you know, you spend so much time worrying about this hurdle instead of attacking the hurdle just head on and just making the attempt. And that's – there's so many cliche statements about that of like, you know, they call – WD-40, WD-40 because it's a water displacement the 40th try to get it right, and that was it. That was it. You know what I mean? So yeah. There's, you, don't, you don't design the light bulb in one try. So you have to have the confidence that what you're attempting has meaning and will eventually have a positive outcome in either your play, your character, your confidence. Um I, yeah, I'm sorry. I kind of like went on a tangent there, but I'm just like, no, I really like it. Cause I mean, it's, uh, I talk like, I talk to Alex Frazier, like somewhat frequently. And he, I mean, he says that same thing all the time. Like you never know what kind of artist you are until you put the pen to paper. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it goes right along with like what you're saying. I'm just like, people are so focused on like the hurdle that they have to get over that. They're not just like, man, I might just go through the fucking thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they just don't look at like, I'm just going to take it head on and just see, you know, what happens of it. Yeah, because that's the only way that you're gonna know whether or not you can do it is, is actually trying it. Yeah, for sure, dude. So let's but, uh, let's let's focus on you. Let's um uh, first off, Quinn Nadu, right? Quinn Nadu, Nadu. Nadu always gets the pronunciation wrong. Yeah, <laughs> Nadu. It's a weird Nadu. spelling because it's just a made up last name. Really? How's yeah, my uh, my grandparents emigrated in uh, from like a area of like southern Russia. 
and they couldn't speak the language when they got here and they were trying to basically like get their their uh, immigration cards everything done at Ellis Island and basically they just made up a name for them because they couldn't understand them um, which oh, really? was kind of odd they spoke like a weird like kind of rare dialect of Russian that was kind of uncommon so uh, we just ended up with a name we're actually like I'm like we're basically like the only family with this name just like anywhere because again it's just like a made up name but Crazy. yeah so if you do like a 23 and me, who knows like what's going to pop up? Yeah, I mean it's just yeah, who knows. <laughs> Your guess is as good as anybody's. Yeah. Man, you said your grandparents? Yeah, they came over, yeah. Wow. That's that's but, um, so recent though. You think about so it yeah. like you know, my I think it was my great great grandparents who came over here. Uh, from I believe it was Poland or Hungary, um, but grandparents. That's so. That's so close. That's so recent. Yeah, it's recent for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But yeah, I um, both sides of my family came over in that generation. I had really old. Uh, my grandparents were very old though. They both. They all went into like well into their nineties. So, I mean, you know, they were around for a while. But wow. Yeah. Um, you know, think about. Yeah, it. I, I think about like from. doing a podcast. I think about like now being able to sit down and talk with my my great grandfather about things or my grandmother and and being as an adult having these actual like questions that i think about and that i can kind of wrap my head around and maybe understand their answers at you know at an age now and i i don't have them around and it's so frustrating because as a kid you're so interested in all these other things rather than some some of the most important things that are kind of right in front of your face that you might not yeah. deem as important at the time. Yeah, absolutely. And like, yeah, I mean, it's wild. Just like you said, when you're young, you don't think about any of this stuff. And now I'm at my age now and I'm like, all I'm worried about is like the story behind things and just that cool kind of storytelling aspect you get from all these different people. So, Yeah, that's what's cool. When I started, uh, I then tied the two together where I was like, oh, he's iconic paintball. And then I started reading some articles and I started kind of seeing your, with your writing, I'm still going through some, but it, it was especially that 50 uh, most uh, top 50 players. Yeah, that was uh, that took a lot of work, <laughs> and I got like, I mean, literally like it, easily a hundred plus messages. Whether it was people just say like, "Hey, thanks for putting me on the list," people saying, you know, like, "What, what the hell? Why am I not on it?" People defending other really? guys why they should be on it. Yeah, it was um, – I kind of figured I would because, like, things like that are such a kind of like a polarizing topic. Like, everyone – you know what I mean? And it's your, I mean, it's just your opinion. Kind of I mean, that's all it is, right? Yeah, and, you know, they kind of – they take it really far. Like, I'm, like, writing this in the stone <laughs> of the world. But um, it's uh, it's funny, too, because, I mean, you would – I'm not going to name, like, call people or anything. But you would have these kind of guys that, like, you know, maybe they had one pro season where they were, like, a top, like, 30 guy in the league. Mm -hmm. And then the rest they just did, like, nothing. Yeah. And they're literally like making an argument why they should be like a top 20 player on this list. I'm like, man, if you feel that way, you know, I'm happy for you. Great. This is just my opinion. You yeah, know? Write your own Go list with, with you at number one, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, but that, uh, that took a lot of work because I wanted to really try to – people have kind of done that in the past, but they've kind of just more did like, hey, here's a number list. That's it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I kind of want to just make sure I tell a little bit of a story with each one of these guys. So, you know, there might be like – for instance, like a guy like Fred Schultz, there might be a kid who's never heard of him. Mm -hmm. uh, but in reality, I just want to be like, I just want to tell a little story of this guy because like this is someone where arguably like if he didn't put the dedication he did into like 
competitive paintball, it might not even have ever came out of the woods. Like it might just still be a thing. Guys went out in the woods and shot each other in the ass and that's it. You yeah. know what I mean? The, what he did in like the eighties to push it to the mainstream with like getting it on TV, like playing in Disney world, all, all the sponsor player relations he brought into the game, uh, you know, really like rocketed into what it eventually became in the nineties. Um, and that's what I was really more so than just the order of the list or anything. I was more focused. On, I just want to tell the stories of all the guys like to me that are important mm -hmm. uh, from my journey playing and who mattered to me. But, you know, yeah, people it's... like to complain. <laughs> well, people think their importance is important. That's <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, actually a friend of mine, the, the, the friend of mine that got me into paintball, he goes, congratulations, dude. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes. He goes. You were on this list, the um, honorable mentions for this fifty most important players or or top players. I forget exactly how you titled it, but the um, uh, he, you're on like honorable mention. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And then, <laughs> and then I went through and I was like, this is really elaborate, but to the point and to the and and to someone's truth of like how they perceive the game and to be able to put that much time into it and thought process. I feel like. If somebody were to approach you because they're not on the list or they don't they didn't know the purpose of the list and the and the, the reason and the time that you put behind it, if it was just a list with the names, then it's like still who cares? Like it doesn't matter. But then you you actually put the time in putting a little bit of a background and a story on these things, which meant that you have justification of why these guys are where these guys are in your eyes. And I think that's for anybody to come to you and say, hey, why am I not on this list or higher or this or that or whatever <laughs> is just completely egocentrical, like, or egocentric, I guess. Yeah, it's wild, but uh, in a sense, too, I kind of appreciate it because there were guys that came out, um, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of these guys, I got to kind of talk to them and say, like, hey, well, like, you know, what part of your career did you feel like, you know, you were like a top player? Like, what parts were you most proud of? And I really got to learn, like, a lot of more stories about guys that, you know, I might have never even thought about like, hey, let's look into this guy. Just like, what's his history in the game? Mm -hmm. um, so in a sense, you know, I was appreciative to go with him. I kind of figured right away, like from the start of the list, putting Ryan at one instead of Oliver right away. I'm like, I think I'm going to get a ton of flack right away for that because people mm -hmm. are like so passionate in their Oliver's number one defense. <laughs> um, but I mean, you look at a guy like Ryan, it's just, it's so hard to not put him at the top. I mean, the guy has like 64 pro wins, I think, right. You know, 20 plus years where he's basically been the best player on his team every single year and pro you know, arguably a top 10 guy in the league every single season, you know, it's hard to just not have him at the top, but well, and the work that he's yeah, done you know. behind the scenes uh, with going and doing all these clinics across the world and just putting the time in to be a true professional paintball player. Um, oh, absolutely. Admirable. I mean, there's guys that do the clinics where, you know, they go to, you know, a couple states away. I mean, this is a guy going to like, like Ryan goes to like the middle of nowhere where like paintball is yeah. not even a he's thing. He's teaching paintball and to he exposes tigers. It. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But mm -hmm. yeah, um, but thank you for putting yeah, me on the list, or at it. least the honorable mention list. Yeah, I, um, I appreciate it. So I struggled a lot with you because, like, on my like growing up, you were like one of the guys like I watched more than like anybody, whether it was like on videos at actual events, just because you're like, I mean, you've heard it a thousand times. I mean, still to me, I think you're the fastest guy that ever played the game, and it's like just watching you was like so incredible to me as a kid because you just like you kind of like 
before I kind of saw you on the scene once you came in with like Tipman effect and stuff, mm-hmm. you think you knew the guys that were fast and then you came on the field. It was just like another world of like <laughs> what speed is. And it's funny, like every time I think of you as a player, I think of, um, I think it was like, Oh, five maybe in there was a cali tournament i think of the same move you made where you would like launch off the box on the break on a psp field and basically just run down the entire field to the other side's like tower and you'd bunker out like three (laughs) or four guys in the process it was either chicago or maybe like um that event where it rained like crazy um but I just remember watching that like a million times as a kid and just being like enamored by your play style. And obviously, like, I really tried to always like emulate guys like you, Marcus, just like the crazy guys, like balls to the walls, like always looking for the huge move. Um, so I struggled with you on the list because like, man, just me, myself, I want to put Carl in like, like the top 25. <laughs> um, but I was like, I can't, I have to just stick to what my thing is. Because I've said a million times, like, the one thing you had over what a lot of guys don't have anymore, like your commitment and loyalty to like the Aftershock program was like wild to me in the sense of just like it, the impressiveness to just stick with your guys. Cause those were like, your like, it's very old school in the sense of like tribalistic, like that was your tribe of guys and like you're staying with them no matter what. Cause I mean, honestly, I think like if you went to, you could have went to any team in the league throughout the entirety of your career and you probably you know you could have probably got two three dozen wins just the level of skill you would bring to a team but it was always like really admirable how you just like stuck to your tribe no matter what thick and thin and i always like really respected that i appreciate that and i i i mean there is a little bit of a convenience factor as far as like traveling goes right with so i mean that was one thing because i could if something were to happen at home or if something like if something happened, I could just drive home, right? I drive the four hours, I get home, you know, and it just, it, it felt better being able to do that with how close the team is rather than traveling also and trying to get back on, on by Monday morning for work. It was, it's just takes its toll when you have to go to this nine to five mm-hmm. because that's what's paying your bills. But then you're yeah. slacking at work because of just a, you know, a scorcher of a weekend on the paintball field with layers of gear on while it's like a hundred degrees outside and you're playing paintball um, really takes a lot out of you when you get back. So being able to just drive home and actually sleep in my own bed um, that night, instead of being on a, a, f- a five hour flight or a four hour flight and then an hour drive home from the airport, it just kind of, it made me still love the game and not really hate the process. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and I think plus for you, I mean, you kind of had the convenience as well of like you got to experience so much in like the 10 years before that. Because I mean, you had like a crazy time with energy, excessive, Um, you know, when you got to play with Avalanche and go out uh, to Ed's shop and work there. Like I felt like you got to do so much cool stuff Mm -hmm. that I don't think like I mean, I I won't speak for you, but there's not that thing in the back of your head of like what if with you. Like you really got to experience all facets. And then we even got to see that a step further when you went to X Factor. Because um, I think that was a really good test of like, say you never went there, there might have been that thing in your head of like, you know, maybe we're getting like, what if I would have went to like a super powered team? Mm-hmm. But like, I don't know, maybe you, I'll ask you, like, would you, if you could go back, would you have just stayed at Aftershock and never have left? Oh, man, it's it's tough. Because I, I try not to live, as cliche as it sounds, I try not to live with, with any regrets or at least too many. Um, and thinking about it, 
back then. I don't really know the motivation. I don't know if I, I wanted to find myself at that point in my career with a very solid program that was very serious from mm-hmm. the top down. You know, not saying that Rennick or they, or they weren't. It was just I wanted to feel more a part of a very professionally run program, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, well, absolutely, because I feel like at Aftershock, you had a lot of responsibility in that program. Like, I felt like the weight of that, especially when AJ left, I felt like the weight of that team was on Carl's shoulders. You know what I mean? Dude, there was, I think it was the 16 to 17 season. Um, I think it was 16 to 17. It was either 16 to 17 or 17 to 18. But one of those, I was, one of those seasons, it was only myself and I think Brian McKenna that were the returning roster. And mm-hmm. it really, um, it really kind of put things into perspective uh, for myself and my play career. Because at the time, I was like, "Man, like, is this where I want to be? Like, re- do I want to be restarting? Do I want to be like, am I am I just gonna stop playing again? Am I am I gonna have to deal with?" who knows who, who comes in and then we're going to have to try and like win games and, and be committed on top of that, be a Midwest team that has to deal with the cold and the the other few things that a Midwest team has to deal with that maybe other teams don't. Um, and I, I struggled with that and, uh, it was really tough, but I think the guys that we, that we acquired and then we kind of trained in that small amount of time, really kind of held their own. I mean, obviously, we had very sharp and shredded edges, um, but there were a lot of games that we played where we only lost by one point or we lost in overtime or we um, or we were up and then we let the team come back and they won by a point or two or they had two quick points and they won. It was, like, insane looking back. Like, we weren't that bad. We had a lot of shining moments. But um, I think being able to go through all those teams kind of helped me uh, – go through that but going back to the original question would i change would i change anything sorry i tend to ramble um (laughs) i don't think i would because i almost actually played for ironman at one point and i almost played for heat at one point uh heat i believe heat would have been really interesting to see and this was in the beginning of the 2014 season is when i was approached that would have been like you and thomas taylor on a snake side together at that point yeah i believe so it, yes. That'd have been wild. Yeah. Oh. And um, for some reason, I I, well, not for some reason. I actually I played with X Factor in 2010 for a random because I I retired in 2009 at the end of 2009. Played with X Factor for Chicago uh, 2010. Got to know a few of the main core guys on there. Whoever was on the team had a really good time. Got to know Alex, um, and kind of really got to pick his brain on who he was and how he ran things. And it, we just, him and I hit it off right away and we just clicked. And that's why making that bump, um, selfish bump to X factor, why it was almost easy in a way is because I kind of had somewhat of a understanding yeah. of the establishment. Um, but what was tough with that though, is I have never, that um, being on that team at one point in time, I had never felt more, useless at one point in time as a professional player um and i'm not saying that as like a mean thing i was just it was an experience right that i had never felt before and i had this this weird resentment and i had this kind of like how 
like you're not gonna play me what the fuck like i i play that i play paintball that's what i'm here for like let me play but i i knew that the guys on aftershock had this understanding that i always tried things like i always tried Mm -hmm. things at practice i'm always like i might only be 30 70 or you know for like um for failure to to accomplishment rate like on the field because i would just constantly be trying stuff out trying different angles just trying all kinds of different things and then moving that over to the x factor camp was really tough because they based who played on the practices which i'm assuming a lot of teams probably do um but because i'm not i'm more all my practices are more experimental than they are repetitive kind of repetitious uh play i'm more experimental with practices with really discovering the field because i do I do like the same exact thing when I practice. I just do like any and every nonsense I can conjure up because I'm just like, you know, why not try it? We might find a great move out of this. You know what I mean? And, so, and I mean, I think you've touched on this before. A lot of it too is just like figuring out like what can you get away with? What can't you get away with? Where's mm-hmm. the paint going to be? Where it's not going to be? Because um, I mean, it's like you said, it's like, sure, you can go to a practice and run to the sink 40 times a row. Like we know Carl can make the sink off break. We don't need to see that 40 times <laughs> yeah. in a row. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, and I think too, um, yeah, I mean, I, it's funny you're kind of saying this because, like, I, you know, at that time, especially X Factor was so regimented with how they ran the program. Um, I actually just, I talked to Danny Manning about this like two weeks ago about you. He was saying, like, the way you are, even like with 10 man, it's very much so, like, hey guys, the game plan is nine versus 10, and then Carl's just going to go do some shit and probably shoot a bunch of people. <laughs> so we're playing man down, but Carl will even it out at some point. Um, but, you know, Again, that's cool that he has I've that always, confidence in me. I'm <laughs> I always appreciate that with you, though, because, again, so much of X-Ball now is so X, Y, Z. Like, you're the one, you go here. You're the two, you go here. And I always liked you because, like, you know, we might see you at six different spots on a snake side, and you're going to be effective at every single one doing crazy shit. And I always like that with you. And there are, and there have been a lot of times where I kind of go against – and I think this is why I'm, I'm really kind of hard to pin down is because I, I feel like I kind of go against – a lot of the regimented play that like, you know, like you said, like Mm -hmm. I could, I could start on the snake side, but there's no reason why I would never end up on the Dorito side at any given point in time. (laughs) Like I I just feel like if I could be that dynamic, obviously if there's a game plan, um, I think it's kind of like you can have a saying kind of like Mike Tyson's, right? Everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. I think it's the same thing for, paintball where you like Mm -hmm. everybody has a game plan until the horn sounds and then you could lose a guy you could get shot off the break yeah you can shoot for their guys there's so many variables that can happen that it's like any scenario that can happen will happen and you have to be ready as much as you can for every single scenario at every single time you step on the field (laughs) every single buzzer so it's like it can become overwhelming but if you don't let that become something that occupies a lot of your energy and a lot of your thought process. I think that's why some of the greats are why they are who they are is because they let that natural instinct and that, and that decision-making happen on its own. Um, as you know, as easy, I guess, as that sounds, I think it's just, Mm -hmm. it comes so naturally and it, they really tap into it. And I think that's why the top is who the top is not because they have the best snapshot or they have, 
um, they have like the best dive or the fastest or whatever. But I think they're they allow themselves to tap into that kind of natural flow state rather easily and acceptingly, mm-hmm. uh, and that's why you have the Fedorovs and the and the Olivers and the you know and the things like that. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, it's funny you call it flow state. I said at the beginning, we just call that seven man shit at our practices. <laughs> right? yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, I like I even touched on it earlier. It's just like I feel like that's so hard to teach anymore. Um, you know, of just people can't they're so used to just everything being a regimented style. They just like they don't have that like like you said, like everything's cool until the horn blows and you're running a lane and you realize like, oh shit, there's paint there. Like, well, what are you going to do? You only practice doing this lane. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you should have done what Carl does where he runs 50 different things to figure some shit out. Um, you know, but even um, talking about you said with X Factor, it's interesting. That's one thing I always appreciated with like you, uh, your relationship with Bruno as well is I feel like like your guys' relationship must have been so awesome as like a coach to player thing because so many guys have that experience where it's like, you know, like, what the fuck? You're dying in practice. Like, we're not going to play you. We're like, Bruno is just like, he always sold out to like, I'm buying into Carl. And like, he always believed in you. <laughs> like, no matter good or bad, he believed that like, this guy's going to go out the next point and shoot five guys. And that must have just, I mean, was that a cool experience with Bruno? Like, just having that trust all the time from him? For sure. It was, it was, I think, respect more than anything. I think he had a mm-hmm. lot of respect for me, and I had a tremendous amount of respect for him as a person and as a player. And I feel like with the respect comes the trust and the, I think honesty on top of that more than anything. I think as long as you're, if you're honest with yourself and you're honest with, uh, the guy who's running the show, um, and who believes in you, I think the best thing that you can do for somebody is tell them the truth on what, what you see on the field, um, on maybe a, a possible move, because what happens then is that you attempt that move and you, and you show confidence in that move and maybe it happens and he lets you, at least a player of that status can see that and see that kind of spark in my eye of like what I'm trying to do. And he knows mm-hmm. where it's going. And if he sees it work, he's like, he has no problem. Or if he even doesn't see it work, but let's say I get shot five steps before I'm actually, I finish off what I'm doing, which happened a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He knew what I was trying to do and he knew that the timing was just off a little bit. But when, if the timing were on at that point, I would have shot two, three guys and could have swung that point over. So w- we kind of were on that same kind of wavelength um, as far as I'm concerned because of the honesty um, that we had with each other. That's huge. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And um, going back to the X factor thing too, I think like how you say, how you were saying with like the, uh, the structure and how they did things, it just didn't, it didn't mix well. Right. With how mm-hmm. I tried to experiment on the field. And, and I was also nervous too, because I felt like I had to perform and I had to be this certain person where I had to just shoot as many people as possible. And sometimes that's not the case. Uh, mm-hmm. You, you have to play a different role and wear a different hat. And I couldn't, it was hard for me to kind of transfer into. And um, it wasn't until like halfway to towards the end of the season where I felt like, I mean, I sat a lot. I sat almost every single match in Cleveland that year. Yeah, I, was, I can remember watching those tournaments. I was always so bummed out because I was like, oh my God, I want to see Carl on the field. Like, let's get him out there. Dude, and it's, and it's insane too because I was actually, I was collecting pods. Like I was going out onto the field and grabbing pods for the guys 
in between that's points. That's like so wild. That it, must have been just surreal, like experience that because like you don't want to not be a team guy. Mm-hmm. At the same time, like you said, like your thought process has to be like you didn't bring me here to do this. You brought me halfway across the country to go out and shoot people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, but but if that guy is making mistakes and not playing to his potential at practice um, to their standards, right? They they have to go with what they know and what works. Yeah. And I at first I let the ego completely control all of it and i was i was pissed i was resentful i was like quiet i was off-putting and looking back now i'm like dude that does no i don't know how long it took for me to kind of get out of that and and be and tell myself like (laughs) dude what the fuck are you doing like snap out of it be an adult get back in the moment but i mean it was a huge ego blow i mean a a (laughs) giant ego blow and when i think it's tough too because like you take a guy like you i think some programs and coaches just need to realize like there's just certain guys like you just can't bottle them up to be like and not to say you weren't a methodical player because you certainly had that aspect of your game but there's just certain guys you can't put them in the box of like this is your job like some guys are just rockets and they Mm -hmm. just you know like you know you might have two three points in a row that you know you kind of do your job get a kill or two but then you're gonna have a game you're gonna shoot the whole team and swing that whole match back in your favor Mm -hmm. um and i think that's like i saw that a lot when i watched you on x factor was like they were trying to make you the type of sake player that you weren't and i just i never understood it um you know obviously they have their reasons and motivations how you know they like to play but i just i always thought that was weird they wanted you to do a role that i just you know i don't think is characteristically what you were as the base of a player yeah it was tough i mean archie and i butted heads a lot um and it was because i have a personality too and i don't i don't I'm not quiet often as I should be because I was also coming from the Bruno side of it where him and I told each other the, the truth to our fate, whether it was the harsh yeah. truth or or didn't matter. Like he could look at me and be like, what the fuck are you doing? And I could look at him and go, yeah, I just completely <laughs> fucked up on that one. Like, and he's like, dude, just, you, you know what you, how you can play. And then, but have, but like I said, transitioning that to X factor, it's like you, that dynamics not there. Um, but mm-hmm. I'm also one of those players too, where it like I warm up the further we get into the weekend. So it's like Friday Friday games are always kind of like my warm up games, where I'm like feeling feeling the actual field out again, um, because yeah. just because of my play style, because of my practice style, and everything, it takes a little bit to warm up and really figure out the field. But once that happens later on in Friday game two. Like, I'm almost on point Saturday morning. Like, Saturday midway through the mm-hmm. game, maybe beginning of the game, uh, um, game one on Saturday, I'm like, the field's, I'm, the field and I are vibing. Like, kind of, yeah. kind of thing. And um, I obviously wish I would have played more Sundays. That would have been nice. But, uh, but I mean, it is what it is. Like, with the expert thing, I'm glad, I'm glad it happened because it really kind of brought myself to the forefront of who I am and how I really how I how seriously I take myself or the game itself or how much I really um, need to let something else besides my ego kind of guide me and it really helped me kind of discover yeah. that it's One, interesting it, yeah I've my perspective is a little <laughs> a little weird but um, no I enjoy it I like it I appreciate it. It's um, it's weird just as we as I do these podcasts too. Kind of, I'm always 
like we talked to uh, earlier, as we find these little things and these little stories and these little gems, uh, the more and more we talk about either ourselves or something um, that we can relate to, like paintball itself, we just kind of, I find those things, and it's cool uh, to do that on these podcasts. Um, Going back to you, when when did you start, and how did you get into the kind of the writing game, and how did you discover paintball? And then, on top of that, how did you have writing and paintball and kind of merge them together into where you are now. See, I've been excited to tell you my first time story because I'm one of the few non-birthday people. Hey. Um, So, like, I had no idea what paintball was at all. Like, I was never like, hey, I want to get a paintball gun or anything like that. So my brother's four years older than me. Um, I was eight years old at the time. And then just Christmas one morning, we all wake up, run down, open up the stuff, and we see my brother and me got paintball guns. They were spider extras, um, like the first version that came out in like 2001, 2002. It was like the one that Bad Company won an NPPL event with. Um, Is that the one where the trigger was like almost like this? Yeah, it was like like, way out. (laughs) It was almost horizontal. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, so they got me that, um, and I grew up in like basically like a clo- like not me personally, but like where I lived. I lived in like the heart of Amish country in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Oh wow! So like the three non-Amish families around me, we all just did like everything together. Um, so naturally, me and my brother got paintball guns for Christmas, and then right away, the couple other kids all want to get them, mm-hmm. and then we probably spent like the first like year just like i mean like three four times a week all we did just every day was just go out play paintball in the woods because we lived in like the middle of nowhere in the woods and we would just play these like insane like six or eight hour long games at a time um and that's where i just really started to like love the game and get into it um and then maybe like a year into it uh a newer kind of buddy that came into the fold from school that was playing said like oh hey like my uncles take this like really seriously uh, and they wanted to like come out and just play against us. And I'm thinking like, well, how do you take this seriously? Like we're just running around the woods having fun. Like I can't even imagine there was like a tournament side to this or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so we show up to play in the woods thinking like, oh, you know, we're going to kill these guys. We've been playing for like a year. We know everything. And we show up. And now thinking back, it's just funny because it's like these guys come out. They have like brand new angel LEDs. <laughs> Revy's on top. Big like 88 CI tanks. and I'm th- And they're like – in their mid-20s and i'm mm-hmm. like a nine-year-old kid at this time so like all of a sudden you're thinking like oh shit like there's more to this box than i understood <laughs> yeah. uh and we went out there and it was like these two guys against like the 12 or 15 neighborhood kids that we like had all kind of played with in a crew and they just like mercilessly like overshot us and just destroyed us for like three hours and like the funny thing was after all this was like after just getting like shot to hell all day all i could think about was like I just want to do whatever they're doing so bad. <laughs> yeah, like, right. I got to figure out how do I get in this? How do I do this? Um, so like right away, then I start talking to these guys when we're done for the day and they start explaining to me like, Hey, you know, there's like fields you can go play this at. Like this isn't just something you do like in your backyards or in the woods and stuff. And that was like mind blowing to me in itself. So like right away, get on the, get to the phone book, look through, try to find a local paintball field. I end up finding a place that's like 20 minutes away. So then I start playing at this little field called Ambush Paintball in uh, this little town called Conestoga. It's like a little kind of Quaker town. Um, 
And uh, so I started playing there, and that's where I started to really see, like, the competitive side of it because there would be, like, teams. You know, this was back in, like, 2001, 2002. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this is kind of still during that time where, like, guys playing competitive paintball would still go play, like, rec ball and stuff or kind of play at, like, the local fields. It's not how it is now where it's – yeah, and it's not like how it is now where it's like pro practices are closed off and like you don't really like mix in. Like back then it was like you would see two or three guys from like the local powerhouse team just like come out on a Saturday and play just to get practice and stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's where I really started absorbing it. And then that's where I got like my first real gun, which was a I got an STO, auto cocker. Oh, wow. And I was like, got that. I was Upgrade. like all set up. So I started playing. Um, yeah. Kind of started playing with like the older guys at the field that who were playing competitively. Cause at the time you're just like a young kind of fast kids, so, you know, all the old guys are like, you know, throw this kid in there, put him in, you know, get him down the field kind of thing. Um, so me and my friends all kind of started playing in with these guys. Um, and then from there, kind of like young kind of punk kids were just like, you know what, like F these guys, we don't need them. Let's just go start our own team. <laughs> Um, so we started our own little like three man team thinking like we're hot shit. We're going to go beat everybody. Um, and then we traveled like, I don't know, two or three hours to our first three man tournament thinking we're going to roll in there and just like steamroll everybody. <laughs> and like everybody else in the show has probably said like, I don't like, it might've been so bad. I don't even think we shot like a single guy out in like an entire day. It just got like obliterated. Like the kind of day where it's like. <laughs> you're like the eighth game in and like you didn't even fill your hopper up again yet just because you're not even yeah. shooting at all. Um, but again, that kind of just kept driving me uh, more and more into it. And then and this was probably around like 2003 by that point where I was kind of playing this little stuff uh, like that. And that's where kind of like the airball stuff really started to emerge suddenly, mm-hmm. um, which was like really strange to me at the time. Like I'm sure you said you started playing. It was like really weird when it switched <clears throat> to airball because yeah. I mean, like you know how it was. There was like the hoses on the field, um, you know, because other than like me looking back now from like a storyteller standpoint, like airball was around at like maybe like 2001 at like the big, big events. But like so. you didn't see that locally, like at all, like little fields didn't have that at all. I think it, because it was too um, expensive at the time. Yeah it, yeah. it was cost prohibitive. No one, you know, there was an, an unknown amount of players that might've played it. They didn't know if the interest was there. And I mean, I'm you're around. I remember like the field owner always talking about like, you know, that's just a fad. That's not going to catch on. Right. Um, so yeah, um, Airball came out and then um, there was a local, well not local, like local-ish field to me called Dell Hobbies, which I'd some a lot of the older seven-man guys know of Dell Hobbies. I've heard of um, Del Hobbies. That was yeah. like a, it was like the stomping grounds for like the early Arsenal programs. Um, a lot of pro teams would come out and practice there. Um, I went there like once or twice. Um, and that's where I really saw the spectacle of like, holy shit, this is like the greatest thing I've ever watched in my life. Mm-hmm. Cause like you see these practices with these pro teams coming in playing air ball and it's like this like well-oiled machine on each side where it's just like, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just, just fascinating to me as a kid to like see this development of how the game worked. Um, so once I saw that, that's when I really like went all in. Um, and luckily was... for me, I had a friend. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, okay. I, 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 you know, th- thinking about what you were just saying before, because sorry for cutting you off, though, um, but I don't, no, I don't want to forget it. But I think what it was for me, and I think it might have been for you too, uh, the the different the differentiating factor was like the communication. Yeah, like for you sure. hear the communication and the way the workflow is on the field, and that was like, holy shit! Like they know what they're doing, and that's yeah. that next level, you know. 
Well, yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, it went along with like the cool factor of it. Cause again, like I started playing in the woods, not even knowing that like a field or a competitive thing existed. Mm-hmm. And then to go from that to where it's just basically like a chaotic mash of nonsense. And then you see this thing where like, this looks like, you know, a, this looks like watching football. Like this is like a team of guys that are like all working together towards one goal. Mm-hmm. And that was like super exciting to me as a kid. Cause I'm thinking like, man, I have all my friends I play with, like we can practice, get better. And then like, we can have like this kind of level thing. Because uh, at that time, the guys I was playing with at that point were like my best friends in the world. Um, luckily, they're, uh, that's kind of how – well, not to backtrack a little bit, but that's kind of how like we really started to get like good at the game, I guess you could say. So uh, my best friend's dad, he was like like a pro-level paintball player in like the 80s. Like he was like – he traveled like all over the country, played all the huge tournaments they had back then. Um, and he was like really serious. And then he quit in like the early nineties and then didn't play again until like his kids were old enough to play. Wow. Um, and his name was Rick and he was like the guy that really started to teach us like the communication side and like reading how the field works, like how to find openings for moves, things like that, you know, cause especially the eighties, especially it was really, really strategy and like tactical back then, mm-hmm. um, kind of in a different way than how it is now. Like the mindset, uh, to me, it was like a little more warlike back then, where it was more like work as a squad type thing. Right. Um, and when we were younger, that really paid off big for us uh, in terms of our development because we really learned like to communicate work as a squad type thing before we learned like anything else. So once we got on like an airball field, it really paid off for us. Um, so anyway, luckily my best friend, his older brother, uh, and me all like we hung out. We did everything together. We probably every day after school, seven days a week. We just all we did was hang out. Whether we were at the field playing paintball, shooting around his backyard. Uh, I mean, we even used to have like this old barn on my family property that we would do like one on ones with in like this like fifty foot long barn for like <laughs> we played till like two in the morning just playing one on ones. We'd use like old fridges as bunkers, just like anything we could do to play the game. We would mm-hmm. try to do. Um, and then luckily, like around 2003, 2004, the older brother was old enough to drive. So that opened like a whole new world because now it's like, man, we can travel to like all the big fields in the area. We can drive, go wherever we want to go. And mm-hmm. that's where it like really started to open up. Where we really like sold out and got into airball then. Um, and, you know, we kind of played a bunch of different local stuff, um, different things. Like I, I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk about forever and bore you. with. No, it. no, no, um, no, no. It's, it's interesting. Um yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, you kind of grew up around the same time in the game I did. I think you're a few years older than me, but I obviously started at like starting at like eight years old. I started a little younger than most people tend to do. Oh, you were um, eight? Yeah, that was when I first started playing. I was eight. Like I says, the main reason I think my parents bought paintball guns was because, again, my brother was 12 and I was kind of like the little bastard kid that would like <laughs> complain and cry if I didn't have, some, you know, my brother and something I didn't. Yeah. So I think it was kind of more so they just bought it to shut me up. And also it's like I could feel like I'm a part of the crew. So, um, yeah, I started young. And like I said, I just like after seeing those guys with those angels when I was a little kid, I'm like, this is just what I want to do. Like, this is a sport I love. I just want to figure this out. So I like really got into it early. Um, I don't even know where I was going with that. Yeah, anyway, well, I was 16, um, I was 16, um, 15, 16 at the time when I first got into it around that yeah. time. So I was already kind of established as like an athlete at that time. Mm-hmm. So transitioning into the game, I didn't really, I was kind of playing with my friends and everything when, uh, when I eventually got going. But um, instead of the communication side, my, the first things I started doing was like knowing how to handle myself like on a paintball field, like, 
one of the biggest things for me mm-hmm. was like knowing how my body worked or how it should work running from bunker to bunker in the mo- in the fastest, most efficient way. That was like yeah. the first thing that I decided to learn. And when I saw guys diving, that was that was then my top priority is being able to dive and not hurt myself and actually like uh, turn it into an advantage because the smoother you are, obviously, yeah. the smoother you are getting into a spot, the faster you are to get up and get your gun up or be reactionary to something that could possibly happen rather than if you're a little bit cumbersome going there and you kind of like stumble in, you're not as really alert to if, if like, let's say you're passing a gap. And this is another reason why I tell a lot of people to like keep their eyes downfield. Um, even when they're doing small bumps is if you make a bump and you notice that no one is still looking at you, this is, this kind of goes back to the whole thing where you said where I would kind of just go all the way down the field at sometimes and um or i would start in a corner and i would just run to the opposite corner because nobody was looking <laughs> I, it was just kind of one of those things where it's like you go to make an initial move but you keep that head on that's why you you know you hear the head on the swivel thing because when that happens and there's still nobody shooting at you and everybody's looking just you can keep going and you yeah you're not you you're kind of like trying to have somebody stop you but you have that opening and you know i try and teach that as much as possible yeah it's funny you mentioned diving because i always think of like the first time i ever dove goes back to the same thing so obviously like around that time was when like push sunday drivers was out i remember having a vhs that like i literally watched so many times it was just like worn through and like you know just didn't even work by the end of it Mm -hmm. um like the first real like dive dive i ever saw was like that move rocky makes where he comes through jumps over the hyper pipe debunker guy and then kind of just like you know, rips into the bunker. Could have been a lot and, worse. And like, that's just like what I, th- yeah, and that's just like what <laughs> I thought diving was at that point. I'm like, oh, this is just the shit you do, like the crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. So like the first dive I ever did was like a, uh, it was like kind of like a hyperball type feel, but they used 55 gallon steel drums instead. Ooh. And that was like the first dive I ever tried. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna run down the field off the break, jump over top of the 50 bunker, and then like land in. It's gonna be perfect. It's gonna be just like Rocky. <laughs> Naturally, you can understand it didn't work like that. Jump yeah. over the barrel, of my autococker rips in the ground. Oh. It just like folds over itself and just like gets destroyed oh against this steel barrel, and it's just like dead. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> never do that again. Defeated, <laughs> right? Well, that's it's you know you think and when I did clinics, which was still recently, like a few years ago, I, I was still doing clinics. I didn't do very many, um, but. A lot of people would think it as fundamental, but it's a reason why it's fundamental is I uh, I start the clinics by like just handling your marker and just kind of like being able to transition it from each hand and then doing the different slides that you're going to that you're going to uh, face in any kind of any given paintball match, whether you're front player, back player, whatever, you know, your hip slides, your supermans, your um you're running and shooting and, and you're running and shooting and kind of diving on one knee and stopping mm-hmm. yourself going into the corner, things like that, because the more effective and efficient and, and confident you are in doing those moves, the less you have to worry about doing those moves. So now you can kind of focus on what your actual job is. And yeah, I know sure. a lot of people are like looking at like all these cool drills and this, which I, I end up doing on the second half of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I try and focus a lot on like body knowledge and it's really knowing where your body is at any given point because that's kind of that's kind of what makes diving 
it looks chaotic, but there's so many guys and there's the top guys who do it. They do it all subconsciously. They know where their body is. And that's, I fucked myself up so many times, dude, in the early days, because I was really trying to hone in like how to, how to do it right. And to really kind of be effective in that way, because then I can focus on the next thing if I'm not focusing on that. And dude, I would just, I would eat shit so many times and you can't, dude, I was there. I did the same exact thing coming up because it's like, and it's amazing to me when I think back because like now for kids when they get into it, all that shit is like so intuitive. Like I feel like the first time kids go and play like airball now, they think they already know all that shit. Mm -hmm. And like, I just think back then, like I'm like, man, I literally like learned to dive out of necessity of playing on like there's this one rec ball field we always played at uh, when we were younger at that field ambush where it was like there was this one spot that was like a giant tire pile mm-hmm. and it was so hard to get to but you could do like this kind of weird like sideways hip slide to get to it and if you got there you were just like god of that field and you could dominate <laughs> yeah. and i was like man i literally like learned how to dive like almost solely for that one thing mm-hmm. and i remember like we would go to this field on like the middle of the week and just practice that one dive to that one spot. Cause it was just like, if we can just figure this out, we'll be the Kings of the field. And now it's like the kids, it's just like, you know, like kind of, it's intuitive, but in the way you said too, I feel like a lot of people don't practice that as a fundamental thing. Cause I mean, even now, like, I don't think I've ever been to a practice where I've seen someone like practice diving into a spot. They just assume like, Oh, I, you know, I'll just dive in and make it there. Yeah. I know how to dive. Um, yeah. Like and you know, I mean, I think a good way, like a good thing that shows it, like the difference between even like a pro level dive and like a divisional dive is if you watch like Quitsky's videos he does for HK where he shows like those super slow moves with like a guy like Ronnie sliding in. I mean, it's literally like a difference of like an inch between getting taken out by a lane or not for guys like that. So mm-hmm. like that body awareness is so critical. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be interested to see some slow motion of the stuff that I pull off. <laughs> I mean, like... We got to get you back out to the field, man. man get some good slow mo. <laughs> I know, I know, I love it. And you know, thinking about um, like all the positions and everything, and, and talking about ten man because it's kind of so relevant nowadays. Mm-hmm. Or, or woods, woods ball ten man. Yeah, dude, being a front player, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of the older front player guys know about this. Like playing in the woods. That's why I never liked to play in the woods, and I still really am not the biggest fan is because so of, scary dude it's so sketchy because if you're going if you're hauling ass you are there's so much to pay attention to because it's not you're not running between a couple of air bunkers that you might run into and bounce off of dude you're running with trees and roots and like twigs and all this shit that could like if you misstep one time dude you're eating it and or your knee's gonna fucking hit a hit a root and you're gonna fuck yourself up. So I'm always like, I'll work my way up the middle and I'll figure it out. <laughs> like, Dude, I do the same thing. I'm always about doing big moves when we're on like the airball field. Every time it comes to like ICC playing like the woods fields, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna like do a delay here first and then I'll work my way out. Uh, we're gonna send you there though. You're gonna do the big yeah. play. How old are you? Oh. Oh, you're 20? Okay, yeah, you're going You're gonna run really far that way, and then I'm going to work my way up this way. Uh. Yeah, dude, it's funny, kind of, like, it comes full circle, because it's like, when I was a kid, all the old guys were, like, forcing me, the young kid, to do the crazy shit in the woods and stuff, mm-hmm. and now, like, I consider myself kind of an old guy, and, like, I, that's all I want to do now. I'm like, okay, who's the kid I can put all this on top to yeah. go do the crazy shit so I don't have to? Yeah, oh, you don't so, have you this know, much experience. Funny, I get it now. You're gonna, you're gonna go get experience right now. 
<laughs> go get it. Hey, it's a rite of passage. <laughs> it is. It. it is. Um, so you're on this three-man team. You 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 guys eventually get a older brother who has a license. You start traveling to all these places. Um, you... Yeah. So um, that's what really opens stuff up because from there, uh, nowadays in the area I live, like all the fields closed that we played at growing up now. But back then, there were so many fields around here. So, like, having the ability to drive and be able to go somewhere that was, like, 40 minutes away even was, like, crazy to us. Because, uh, again, where we lived was, like, the middle of nowhere. Like, convincing yeah. my parents to drive me an hour to a paintball field was, like, a whole new world. speaking to a fucking – yeah, speaking to a fucking alien, they're never going to drive you out. <laughs> yeah. um, so when we started to get to do this, um, there was this uh, indoor field called Outlaw Paintball, like maybe an hour away from where we lived. Uh, we would always drive up there on the weekends, and this place was like insane. It was maybe like 100 feet long at most and like 70 feet wide, and they had everything turfed out. They had lighting, everything, like fairly decent ventilation so you weren't like dying while you were in there in the summer mm -hmm. and i can remember like we would literally go there and get there at, like we'd roll in at like four o'clock in the afternoon and just fucking grind till like one in the morning at this field and then drive home and it was like there were times that like there would literally be like 200 people packed in this building trying to get on this field and it was just like pure street ball style like you didn't play teams or anything like you just like went out first ones like, to the I mean, star we, box I remember times yeah, and I, I can remember times we would do like 10 on 10s on this little ass field. I mean, you know, I mean, a field like that, there was like maybe like five or six air bunkers on each side and then mm -hmm. like a giant fucking X in the middle, floor to ceiling. So like yeah. 10 on 10 was just like chaos. But I remember like that's where like I really, really started to hone everything because that's where like it started to get important of like, hey, I got to learn to snap shoot. I got to learn to like actually shoot off the break because like this isn't. Um, you know, you're not on like a seven man field where like you have all the distance off the break. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I got to have my gun up right away to be able to shoot this guy because you know, he's going to be like 60 feet away. Like I got to yeah. be on or like in a gunfight, you know, even if you're corner to corner, you know, you're only shooting 90, 100 feet corner to corner on this little indoor field. Like that's why I really started to hone kind of gun skills. That's where like we would start trying to find like anyone we could who was like basically like a D3 or a higher player back then of like, hey, how do I do this? How do I do this? How, mm -hmm. What drills can I do? Anything we could do to kind of figure it out. Um, and then occasionally you get lucky at this field where like a pro would roll in and do a clinic. Um, and that's when you really would get like a lot of cool stuff. Like the Arsenal guys would come around um, – sometimes uh to that and that's actually where uh one of the areas i met marcus there like four or five times throughout that period uh when he was playing out here with arsenal he would come there for like these little like podunk weird little kind of quirky clinics mm -hmm. they were kind of they were like half-assed but they were fun like basically he would you know like any player back then they're just looking to try to get any money they can to then go play pro and travel around and do whatever yeah um that's where I met him and we'll get to that later because that's kind of like he was my inspiration behind doing everything with the storytelling side that I'm doing now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, that's where I kind of really started to hone stuff and that's where I kind of started to like kind of come out of my shell and start playing outside of my friend group. Um, I started going to like tryouts for teams in the area, trying to get on like five man teams, seven man teams. Um, and then eventually I got on a team where we actually started like traveling around to kind of like the, not like regional, like super far stuff, but within like a two, three hour circle where we started playing, uh, tournaments. Yeah. Um, and that's where it was like, it was funny. Cause I remember looking back, I was like, so like, it was so bittersweet when I was a kid doing that because I was basically like leaving my friends behind. I grew up with at this little field. I was like, I felt like I was forsaking the field owner because he was like so good to us with everything. Mm -hmm. I remember leaving like the level of sadness I felt when I told him like, <laughs> hey, Bob, like 
I'm not going to play here anymore. Like I got on this team. I'm playing down in Maryland now, like a few hours away. And like, I remember I was like basically like heartbroken. Like I was like, how yeah. can I do this to him? Like I'm betraying him. But, um, <laughs> you know, I got, I got through all that and I started playing. Um, that's when I started moving down towards like, it was, uh, this would have still been OACC at the time. It might've even been the ECX days. It was like, way back but it's oxcc now yeah. which they had you know multiple national events at that's why i kind of started playing more and more in that kind of general area to kind of like really get into the team side um and then i got to play some seven man mppl stuff when it was still kind of like relevant in its waning days in like oh six oh seven ish um and then days. when it made it's like yeah you know then it made it's like weird switch to the what it did the uspl year mm-hmm. um i remember doing like the first practice of the year in like march or something after they announced it i don't know why i'm just like i hate this like i don't want to do this yeah like the u was really weird like i don't know why for me just at that age it was like really weird um and it also kind of sucked for me because it's like i really didn't want to play x-ball like at all like i really loved how seven man was so I was like really back and forth. And then it was that point. I'm like, I just think I'm going to be done. Like, I don't want to play this anymore. Um, and then that was, again, I'm kind of skipping forward. So that was maybe like 09 or so, or maybe like That's when around I the year 08, 09. Where I was just yeah. like, I'm done. <clears throat> yeah. That's and funny. I just, yeah. Cause you were with infamous at that mm-hmm. time, but yeah, I just, um, I just like really didn't want to play X ball like at all. Like I just hated the, how five man was, especially then like the difference between five man and seven man then was like such an abrasive difference to me. Like, I just hated it. So I was like, I'm done. I'm quitting. I don't interest this more. So yeah. I quit for like about a year or so. And then it was about that time that I was graduating high school, going into college. And that's kind of where like my writing passion started to come out. Um, so I went to school for business administration. Uh, at the time, I was running my own business that I started my senior year of high school. Um, and then nice. naturally through that, my thought process was just kind of like, hey, I got to learn to be a little bit more articulate, it, you know, because I'm doing like different branding, marketing stuff, like press releases. I want to make sure like what I'm saying is relevant, makes sense. Um, so I started taking like professional writing classes, literature classes to just kind of try to hone my writing style. And like I really fell in love with like storytelling and writing around that time. I really started to get deep into reading like, you know, really obscure out there kind of authors that just kind of really opened up my horizons to everything. Mm-hmm. Um I'm trying to give you like the paraphrase version because I don't want to go like a 10 hour podcast. <laughs> no, but, that's um, all right. That's kind of so my that's kind of the about early to jump portions. onto my lap. She's crazy. <laughs> uh, you're good. But um, that's kind of where like the writing roots of everything started with me. And then like on top of all that, um, my passion for writing within paintball was like at full bore at this time because like this is when PB Nation was still like at its peak. Like. I mean, you were around then, you know how it was, like you came from school every day, went right to your computer, check everything on the forums, check all your friends, see what everybody's doing, you yep. know, anything and everything. Um, and I would start writing like these super in-depth like analyses and posts of like anything and everything with PayPal, whether it was like random old gear that no one gave a shit about anymore, teams, what they were doing that year, like the state of PayPal, anything and everything. I just liked enjoyed writing and just getting feedback and kind of doing things. Um, and then the more I did that, uh, while I was in school, uh, I started thinking like, man, I should buy a paintball gun again, just to like mess around, kind of play with friends and stuff like that. Um, so it was like maybe like my sophomore year, I bought a gun again, started kind of doing like little rec stuff. I was doing like a ton of big games too. Cause I've like for my whole playing career, I just love playing like huge big game snares. I've probably done like 
easily 50, 60 big games. Like I just love playing them. They're just <laughs> super fun. Um, so I started playing them again, going to like skirmish for um, all the big events, going to EMR for Castle Conquest. And that's when I was starting to be like, okay, like I definitely got to get back into playing again. Like, you know, maybe I misjudge X-Ball, give it another try, um, you know, whatever. Uh, so then I got back into it again, um, and then this was at, like, the waning days of, like, the PSP. Um, I mean, I'm not saying it was, like, the end, because eh, it was, like, 2012, 13. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it was kind of, like, that's when all the weird stuff started happening, like, the fight with the NPPL over, like, what paint could be where, like, yeah. all that nonsense. Um, I mean, you were around for all, or I guess you would have been back by then, right? You came back in, like, what, 2013, 2012? Mid- yeah, mid-13. Chicago to Yes, I mean you were around for all of it, so I won't go too deep into it. Um but that's kind of when all that stuff was around. Um and I started playing with like local teams again, hitting up, you know, all the guys I knew from way back, trying to find out who the hell was still playing. Still you know, people, PA. As people quit all the time. Yeah, uh well Pennsylvania at that time, that's when like basically all the fields were like essentially closed in my area. Um so I was still traveling out to like Maryland to like OXCC. Uh, out to Jersey to like paintball authority, paintball invasion, like all the older fields that have now been replaced with other ones. Right. But you're living Um, in PA though, right? Still? Yeah. Yeah. I'm still generally in the same area that I've been. I've moved around like five or six times within like the same like 45 minute circle, but yeah, still doing all that at Pennsylvania. Um, so yeah, I started hitting up some of the guys I was playing seven man with, uh, the few years earlier, uh, found that they were doing like tryouts for teams and stuff like that. So that's when I jumped back into X-Ball, started doing like PSP events and stuff like that again. And then right when I really started getting in it, that's when like the big collapse of the PSP happened. Everything went to shit after that horrible Dallas event. <laughs> um, and then that's again where I was at the point like, am I even going to keep playing? Like, I don't know if I want to go through like a whole new league starting up. This is when it was still shaky. If like the NXL was even going to be a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I kind of went back and forth with it. I played the first NXL they did in, uh, it wasn't, they called it, I think Virginia beach, but it was like in like a random fucking horse pasture in the middle of nowhere in yeah. Virginia. Um, I don't even know. I can't remember the town it was in. It was in, it was in like the middle of nowhere. Um, but we played that event, um, and I don't know why. I just remember driving home from that event. I was just so like frustrated and stressed out. And I was just like, what the hell am I doing all this for? Like I'm putting all this time into it. Like I don't like the team I'm playing with right now. I don't like where I'm at as a player. I'm not putting enough time into like practice and actually like getting better. I'm mm-hmm. just thinking like everything that I played the game for originally, like kind of like the bond and the friendship and all that. I was like, all that shit's going on. I'm playing with people I don't even know. Yeah. I don't like, you know, I have no bond or connection to these people at all. And then at that point again, for the, like the second or third time, like I'm just done. Like I can't handle this anymore. This is just too much to do. And, you know, at that time too, my business was really doing, you know, I was putting a lot of time into that. Uh, and it was hard pulling away on weekends. Cause you know, if you have an order that's in and you need to get it ran through the weekend, you know, I can't, you know, I can't tell my bank account, hey, sorry, you know, yeah, right. you're going to stay negative this week because I want to go play paintball and fuck around. Um, so that kind of really took up a lot of my time too. Yeah, I mean, you know how it is. I mean, you're in the same, you were kind of went in that battle back and forth yeah. uh, between your career and paintball. Um, but, you know, I kind of went back and forth with it and then I quit then. And then, um, again, went a few more years. I ended up selling my business in like 2016 or 17 and then took an opportunity to go into business with my dad, which I wanted to do like 
my whole life. Uh, so I got to do that. Uh, everything financially started to get like a little less burdensome with everything. So again, that's when I started to think about playing again. Um, and I, at that point, I just hit up the guys that were like my core friends that I had played with for like a decade that I just like, I just want to play with these guys for fun and have fun. And then like randomly, we actually ended up going and playing like this random weird, like it was a five man mech event. But then, like, you could have a six guy that came on the field, like, 30 seconds. In. It was really weird. <laughs> but it was actually, like, one of the funnest formats I played. Because, like, you could be, like, that sixth guy in the box. And you're just kind of, like, sitting, watching what's going on, figuring out where you can insert, and then just, like, blast out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we ended up playing that. That was super fun. We won that. We actually won that. And the prize was, like, a um, – it was a clinic with you – and then we decided to just donate it to the local like kids team. Um, you, it was at OX Hatfield. I think you eventually went out after. It was like right at. It was uh what? It was like twenty. It was like right at the end of twenty nineteen. So it was like right before COVID hit. Yeah. Um, and it was with uh, Black Lotus was the team. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because we won that with you, and we're like, hey, you know, let's just give it to like the look like the Black Lotus kids team. Like let them have fun. Um, which sucks. I wish I would have just told oh, that's up cool. And, you know, we <laughs> yeah, could have connected I, back then closer. But. Yeah, I did that. Uh, I did that clinic, and then I did the. Um, I, th- I think it was. I don't know if it was Living Legends or what. I don't know what it was. What the hell was it? the the um, big scenario game that happened the following day? Um, uh, at the field there. No, no, was it was at- a, it was a separate field. I think that it was a separate. I forget what what uh, it was. One of was my it in the. Was it in that area, or did you have to like travel far? I think it was in Jersey, or no, OXCC is in, or um. Oh, so yeah, it was probably Super Game then that they have out there. Might have been. I, if somebody's listening to this, they're <laughs> yelling at me. I, I apologize, but yeah, that, that's funny. That's that's funny that you guys uh, gave it to Black Lotus. Yeah, I mean they're um they're a bunch of good good young kids. Actually, mm-hmm. one of the kids that was on their team has kind of been like jumping in and out with us when he can. Uh, we they kind of just try to help develop him and just kind of teach him whatever we can, just because he's like you know super nice and Is really motivated kid? to get better. Um, pardon? Is it Jason um, Snyder? Uh, no, this is a different, this is an even, even younger kid that they kind of brought into their program. He only has been playing like maybe a year. Uh, Jason's kids, Gabe is actually, he's pretty Gabe, solid. That's right. He's been playing yeah, yeah. for, yeah, he's been playing for a few now. He's getting really good really quickly, but, um, I saw him at ICC. He was, uh, yeah, I saw him. He was, I forget who he was playing with. I saw him there too. And we caught up a little bit, but yeah, he got really good really quick as well. I'm sure your clinic helped him out. Um, I, I tend, know. I try to think so. <laughs> Whenever I do a clinic, I, I hope that what I do makes sense and that people like kind of take it and it more than anything, I hope that it just helps them in any possible little way, no matter what it is. Yeah. I've seen how you do your clinics. And one thing I really appreciate with it is like a lot of pro clinics I feel like are like too much too quickly. Mm-hmm. I feel like yours are really cool because you break it down to like the most basic thing at the start and you kind of progress through it as if it was like the way you progress through your career and learn shit. I feel like you kind of did that the same way and I always appreciate that because again, like I've been to other clinics where it's just like right away, they're just like, okay, we're going to start with like a snap shooting drill, then we're going to do like a run and gun drill doing this. I'm like, dude, half these kids here probably don't even know what the hell any of that is. You got to like, we got to start step one with these kids, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, luckily my clinics weren't overly populated, which was nice because they, mm-hmm. you, the, the biggest thing I feel, and again, this is my opinion on how to do clinics, um, 
but I, w- I always thought of like the spectrum of players that you have that comes to the clinics, right? It's not, it's not all high level players. It's not all low level, you know, beginner players. You have to be able to mm-hmm. relate to everybody at the same time. And you have to be able to make yeah, it. Yeah, I bet that's really challenging. Oh, my God, dude. It is, but if you break it down, I f- the way I did it was that, like, go back to the basics, right? Everybody knows the basics. But mm-hmm. if you make the basics interesting and fun, not only will the beginners enjoy themselves and feel like they're learning something, may- possibly the guys who think they are established as a player – might see it mm-hmm. as a challenge and maybe a different perspective than maybe they looked at it before and can use it as a learning yeah, experience. Sure. And then you just build off of that. And then I go into, eventually I go into like the snap shooting drills, but I do them a lot. I, I, the way I do it is, is different than other people do it. And then I go into uh two on two communication drill. Um, and then eventually towards the end of the day, I do, I do teams Um but yeah, I just I try and make it as simple, but as as because I think the more simplistic it is, the better it is. The the more ability you have to explain what you're doing and why you're doing it, and then it has more of a meaning to it. Because I feel like nothing against all the other guys on how they do their clinics, but I feel like just like you said, I think a lot of people tend to get overwhelmed mm-hmm. with the uh, amount of drills maybe that they do or the type of drills that they do and they're, they're trying to do too much uh, too soon again mm-hmm. i'm I, I haven't gone to very many professional clinics of other guys before but from the small amount that i have noticed um there's a lot to take in and you know there's a lot of non-playing time at my clinics i mean yeah and i, and I think thinking about it, it it's like you know Everybody, I tell everybody, I was like, just buy one case of paint. Just buy one case of paint and you will be good for the whole day. Like even as a back guy, you'll be good for the whole day because you you will really kind of – and I think one day is a good like chunk of time for 20, 25 people, Um, maybe even a little less than that. But it's like you can really kind of hone in on on somebody and talk to them for just like a minute and have it be – precise and really kind of have them be able to hone in without guys getting too like bored or standing around. But then you, if you explain it in a way of like breaking the field down and breaking playing styles down, you, you kind of keep everybody involved. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I even think like with experienced guys, I mean, there's always something you can learn. Like I always look back to the same thing. I remember I went to like a dynasty clinic, like maybe like halfway into my playing career um, just to kind of go, cause obviously I was like, I just want to like meet the dynasty guys and like mm-hmm. see how that is. Like, I'm just kind of going more as a fan. And even something then, like just something as simple as like how your setup of your gun is. Like, I just think like, Oh, you know, I know everything that's going on. I've been playing for like seven, eight years. I don't, you know, these guys are going to be able to teach me anything. Like, you know, every kid thinks, mm-hmm. um, but even so, so that I just feel like, Hey, I have my gun. I just use like a 68 tank, you know, that's it. Don't think about it anymore. And then they always stress their clinics, like kind of like that more rifle setup that the dynasty guys like, mm-hmm. and they kind of explain like, Hey, this is why. I, these are the reasons we use this. It's not just like a random thing. And then once they explain that, I'm like, oh, that's something I never thought about as a player. And then, you know, you start switching these longer, bigger setups. Like, man, like this is way nicer off the break. It's easier for snap shooting. You have more control in the gun. And it's just like, that's why, again, like with clinics like yours, where you kind of always went back to the basics, I thought that was awesome because it's like, there might be a little thing that you've been doing 20 years that a kid never thought of. And now all of a sudden it makes him that much better of a player. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can, I can only hope that 
what I do has a small effect on anybody and it's that's at least my hope um, okay so now you've you're kind of in that area of where you said you gave the the club the black lotus guys uh, the clinic and where yeah. are you at as far as uh, your writing career so writing still I'm just kind of doing it um... I mean, the professional exposure I'm getting is within my businesses, um, just writing, you know, various stuff within the organization structure, like kind of more boring stuff. Uh, at that time, I was also doing like some consulting on the side after I sold my business. So I'm writing like a lot of like corporate style writing. Super, and that's super of, fun stuff. I, I, I awful, like not fun at all. It's terrible. <laughs> super dry. Um, but that really just got me. Yeah, but you know, it just got me thinking and I started reading a lot more at that time. Um, and it really kind of gave me to start like, I'm like, I'm just gonna write for fun because it really sucks writing in this way. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when I started like really diving back into like PB Nation and stuff, arguing with people on Facebook and like really <laughs> long winded, deep conversations, mm -hmm. just like anything and everything, talking like tech stuff, just any kind of paintball related writing I can do to just like be a paintball nerd because that's just naturally what I've always been um, I was doing and actually through that process like I was writing these like really really long like PB Nation posts and like getting in arguments with people um, and I ran into Justin from Pro PB and then I kind of like out of no I just like ran a thought I'm like hey like you know I used to love reading that site when I was a kid I'm just gonna like shoot him a message and see like hey would he have interest if I would just like start writing things on the site it's just anything and everything mm -hmm. and basically he was just like hey man yeah like i've read kind of the different stuff you write on pv nation i think you have like a you know a solid writing style let's just try it out so then i kind of just dove right in um started just writing articles about anything and everything for paintball um started doing like the interview kind of style thing and i just that's where i kind of started really like reigniting that creativity to write um and i was kind of writing stuff on the side just not really I wasn't writing it with a plan of like putting it out I was just writing to write like I just wanted to write paintball history mm. um, and that's kind of where I'll bring back to I mentioned meeting Marcus earlier when I was younger um, when he passed away that was like a big inspiration for me to like really push forward um, the storytelling side of it because I think about like a guy like Marcus like when he came up in the league he was like such a critical figure to the way that like not only like the play style on the field developed during that kind of like infancy of paintball when it was like really struggling to find its identity as like a sport. Mm -hmm. um, he was really big on like the social impact of the game because as I kind of talked about in my story with him, he really came in at a time when like paintball was like super tribalistic. Like you stuck with the same squad basically your whole career. Those were your guys. It was a very like stoic and like nothing not, too like, flashy, stuffy, but you know like. Yeah, it was like, yeah, the really old school style, like we're here to get a job done, blue collar type thing. And that was it. Mm -hmm. And like he came in and was like super fucking abrasive right away. <laughs> yeah. He was super unabashed and just didn't care what anybody thought about him or what he said or what he did. And he kind of was like among that first wave of guys to like break away from the tribalism. I mean, like right away, he was in far side. He jumped to Aftershock, jumped to Dynasty, jumped to Arsenal. Like he was all over the place just saying like, I'm just going to do like, I mean, Alex said the same thing to me. Just basically he was like, I'm just going to do whatever the fuck I want. I don't care. Mm -hmm. And that's just kind of how he did. Um, so anyway, how that kind of ties in um, when he passed away, like thinking about that, I was like, man, there's kids that are playing this game today that don't even know who the hell Marcus Nielsen is. And this was a person that like. 
again, you could make an argument with any of these kind of older guys. Like the sport might not be where it is now if it wasn't for him. I mean, this was a guy when he came in, like no one was doing run-throughs as like a viable strategy. Like it was a thing like, you know, like Richie Malcheski would do it as like a closer type move as like mm-hmm. a signature thing. But it wasn't something where it was like mid-game. a minute into the game, you're blowing through and putting pain on five guys. Like that was just unheard of. Um, and I just want to bring this story up quick because it's funny to me talking about run-throughs. Um, my friend Matty Watts, who plays on my team with me, he was actually playing with Arsenal like way back. And he uh, he told me a story about this. Uh, he got to see Marcus do a run through back one. Like it wasn't even like a thing yet. Like he wasn't even doing these on like the pro field yet. He was just practicing them at like Dell hobbies, like wherever he was, uh, kind of prize him. He saw Marcus do it. So then he's like, basically like, I'm going to go out and try to emulate that move and just see if it works. <laughs> and he's like 12 or 13 at the time. Uh, he goes out, goes down the snake, shoots like everyone on the opposing team, like just walking up behind them, shooting in the back. And he said this older guy turns around and just blows up on him, telling him he's like ruining the game. Like he's a disgrace to how this game should be played. He has no oh honor. God. And he said he just immediately just throws up in his mask on the field because he's so <laughs> scared and nervous. Yeah. Um, and the reason I like to tell that story is just, again, going back to like the history of the game, like run throughs are such a normal thing now. And back then it was like so fucking alien to mm-hmm. even think about doing that. To the point that like a grown man would like disgrace you on the field for even thinking about doing it. Um, but anyway, then how that ties in with everything. So I started really researching and writing this really in-depth piece on Marcus just kind of for myself just because I didn't really think I was going to release it or do anything with it. Yeah. And then as I got deeper and deeper into it, um, I started interviewing like his mom, uh, all his old teammates. I had a really cool long interview with Danny Manning because Danny was like really good friends with Marcus basically for the entirety of his life. Um, huh. And that's where I kind of figured like I just want a place that I can put all these. I can buy a domain and a server space and just ha- buy like 20 years up front just so I know this is going to just be here forever yeah. and just put it out there so some kid who might have never known who Marcus was can read this story and understand like this is how we got to where we are. Um, and really once I wrote that article, that like really like opened up a door kind of igniting like the creative side of me again with writing. And that's kind of where I opened up into the different stuff doing like the 50 greatest players list, like kind of going behind the scenes with Dynasty. Um, I've been writing stuff for like the Hormesis Coindle stuff, like kind of writing like, I don't know if you've checked out like their site, but like with like the Coindle stuff, like I write like all the bios for all of their different like gold coin players, just, you know, oh, nice. anything and everything I do just to write about paintball. Um, it really kind of ignited that. Um, and kind of along the way, like I mentioned, uh, Justin from pro PB and like Chan, they're saucy, all those guys that were with pro PB forever. Like they were just, they're just enjoyable to talk to and kind of like conversate about paintball, talk about the writing side of it. And, um, they really helped kind of like ignite that in me. Um, and again, that's kind of the whole direction of the project, uh, that I'm now doing with iconic. Like I'm not stepping away from doing stuff with pro PB. I'm not like going to stop writing like current event kind of stuff. I just really wanted a place that when I want to like sit down and tell a story and just get the facts, interview people and just let the world know like, this is who this guy was and why he was important. It mm. kind of gives me an outlet to do that where I don't have any expectation to like get a certain amount of articles out. I don't have any kind of like sponsor or anything dictating the way I want to do something like that's one thing I'm doing 100% with this site like I'm never going to take on any kind of sponsors or ads I'm never going to do like promoted work like I don't want to do it like that shit just says no I'm not interested in that like I just want to write like about what matters to me and I even said this at the beginning 
like I, the first person I think I told this idea about was Alex Frazier. Cause I was like, I'm just going to run it by him. If he thinks it's stupid, it's probably stupid. Um, I kind of ran it by him. Um, and he was like receptive to it right away. And honestly, I was like so impressed with how he kind of talked to me about this whole process of it. I was kind of thinking in my head, that's where I really started to kind of develop my audience of who I wanted to read these. Mm -hmm. And I kind of write these from the sense of like, I don't even care if one person or a million people would read this. I just want to write it for like the pro guy that got to, you know, that new Marcus or new Bob Long or new Carl or anybody. They could just read this story and relive those moments outside of just the memories they have. Like they can see it on paper and just remember like, Hey, this guy was fucking awesome. He mattered to paintball. He mattered to me. He -hmm. had an impact. And that's like where my audience kind of developed. And that's kind of how I try to write now. Like even when I write, like I just recently did a dynasty story kind of where I followed them at the Chicago event. Um, I just kind of write from the perspective, like how would like, like, like I'm a player, but like how do like a pro player want to read and absorb this? Like they don't need to know what the hell happened at game three. Like they can go watch the webcast if they want to figure that out. I kind of look at like, I kind of drove like an article like that. I looked at like the dedication and the bond within Dynasty. Like what's the dynamic of how that changes their play style? How is that almost like a proprietary thing to their organization that drives them to success? Um, And those are – that's just an example of like the kind of angles I like to look at with it. Um, But kind of in general, like even with the whole site itself, like I kind of talked to you a bit about this. I just kind of want to do like weird and kind of different things to kind of like – showcase the player side of the game like mm-hmm. again i don't give a shit about the sponsor stuff i don't care if this lo- i don't give a fuck if this loses money every year i'm just doing it because <laughs> i like doing it um but i kind of mentioned to you and like i haven't talked to anyone about this yet really other than like you maddie a couple guys um one thing i'm going to be kind of officially announcing but i'll kind of announce it on here to you um is i want to do a thing for the end of the year it's gonna be called the iconic awards it's going to be like unique to my kind of site that I'm doing. Uh, but basically I'm going to have like 15 or so categories where it's going to be almost like superlatives for each style thing. Like I'm going to do player of the year, you know, snake player of the year, Dorito player, move of the year, innovator of the year, all that kind of stuff, you know, like breakout player of the year, anything and everything just to kind of like recognize and award guys. Mm -hmm. Um, and kind of the way I want to do that is I kind of have a panel of judges who are like essentially like consider basically like the foremost experts of paintball stuff. Like I have Maddie on board, Rich, Tom Cole is going to be on board with it. Like guys that, you know, they're watching every game. They know what's going on. Yeah. Um, and basically I kind of wanted to do this because like, really this sounds stupid. It's why I wanted to talk to you particularly is because like the whole idea of this came from you. Cause I look at a guy like you in the later part of your career, by far one of the best attackers and front players by a mile to me like there's maybe two or three guys that were touching what you were doing as a front player from like that 2010 onward period with you and like i think like dude there was like in terms of recognition like if aftershock wasn't getting wins or going deep into an event like no one talked about car and i'm like this is a guy that might be going out and getting like 70 kills in an event in like a cup like five or four or five matches where some guys won't do that, they'll get to finals and be the MVP and they won't rack up that many kills. I'm thinking like, I want something to recognize like the Carls of the league where it's like guys who are like fucking grinding and putting in the work to be good and just give them recognition. Like, hey, I saw you, I valued what you did. This panel of judges valued what you did. Like, you know, you might not have won any events this year. You might not have been in the top 10 as a team, but you were by far the best Dorito player on this field, or you were by far the best support player in this field. And like, I think a guy like 
Corey Field is a really good example. Like mm-hmm. Thunder doesn't isn't winning anything. They haven't won historically for a while. But an utter monster when it comes to that support role and break shooting. I'm like, that's the type of guy that I want to build these around is a recognize just talent. I don't care about the politics. I don't care about the teams. I don't care about some sponsor that wants to pay me to push their athletes versus a different athlete. I'm just yeah. looking at like, who are the guys that deserve this? Um, so anyway, not to be too long winded with it, but that's kind of the idea. Um, I'm actually working with Alex and Oliver at Hormesis. I'm going to do like really cool, custom, unique to the award headbands uh, for that's each sweet. one. Because I kind of figured it'd be cool. Like, I mean, I'm sure, I don't know how you would feel about it, but say you, Carl, you would win Snake Player of the Year. You would have like a really sick like Hormesis band that note, like, you know, notates that. And you can wear that at events to show like, you know, hey, I'm the top dog, you know, like, yeah. and you know, it kind of just gives you an extra thing to show off. Uh, I'm going to do really cool trophies with it and then actually i for the player of the year i'm also gonna do a cash award for that as well oh wow because uh, naturally i feel like if you just grind through the year and you just you're the best player on earth i think that deserves deserves some kind of like an additional kind of showing of like hey the world recognizes you as the best player of this year mm-hmm. um so i thought that kind of be a cool thing to add and then naturally um as this progresses and goes on through the year i'll kind of add more and more money into that just you know again i don't care if it loses money i'm just doing it to you know recognize the players um but you know i think it'll be just a really kind of cool thing to add in and i think it'll tie in well to like the history side that i kind of do because that'll kind of allow me to keep like a rolling track of these guys that you don't really hear about um i say this all the time like i don't know i mean you're a local ohio guy kind of so you know like lvl pretty well Mm -hmm. like i look at like justin polite a lot on that team as the type of guy like he's a really talented sake player he does his job really well in the field i don't think like anyone i've ever heard brings his name up like ever yeah but he's the kind of guy like he could be someone that's in the running for an award like this and all of a sudden you know that might put him in the minds of like you know gets talked more about on like the commentator booth starts to elevate his profile and then that really motivates players along to do you know more and more i'm not saying like hey i'm gonna make this guy be better or something i'm saying yeah. it just adds a little bit of extra motivation of like hey this was all worth it even if we got our ass kicked all year because i was recognized for it at the end of the year you know mm-hmm. what i mean no for sure man i think it's great i think it's great that it's you're also going outside of the net with it too um with like uh i forget exactly how you termed it but it was like um uh it was like innovator innovator of the year right yeah like, like somebody somebody outside or like you do product of the year or you can do like um just yeah just something like that and it gives it gives the paintball world itself the, mm-hmm. the whole community itself rather than the guys that are actually playing because there's so many different aspects and so many different people that are involved with it um i think it's i think it, it is going to be great and um i think it gives yeah, another... the outside of the net stuff is cool because yeah. sorry not to interrupt but oh, like, even that I'm even looking at doing um, like I want to do like media, like a media personality of the year because I mean like even that, like the dudes on the pro field that are shooting photos, videos, like they put – I mean they put arguably equally as much time as the player into Mm -hmm. honing their craft and like what is their treatment they get from the rest of the paper world. It's like one day later, hey man, where the fuck my photos at? Like nothing else. They don't get like any – you know, they don't get any sort of you know notoriety for it. You know, that can extend – everyone i mean that extends a guy like cena in the ghost sports booth who is going like well above and beyond any expectation that a lot of people had for the webcast and really just like 
putting in the effort to go above and beyond. And like you said, I think it's important to recognize those people because there's so many, and it, it ties back, like there's so many cool stories in this industry that like just don't get talked about for one reason or another. Mm -hmm. And these are kind of a cool way to bridge into that because naturally like when we go through the awards, each guy that wins, you know, I'm going to do like a, like an in-depth kind of look at why they want it after we announce everything. Um, and I just think that'll be just a really cool way to just continue continue the kind of storytelling element behind all of that mm -hmm. yeah no man 100 percent. and I, I like it too because it's just another it's another dynamic to why we're doing this right it's like yeah it's and it's not necessarily that somebody is going to push to be player of the year or to to mm -hmm. necessarily because I, I don't think that would happen i think i think all of your awards mm -hmm. are going to be organic not necessarily mm -hmm. like sought after meaning people are going to try to be but it's like because you're how you write and how you're doing everything is so organic and well thought out that it's it's just going to be it's going to be you know thoroughly recognized throughout the community that mm -hmm. like and agreed upon I feel where yeah, like, and I kind of that. that's kind of why I'm trying to involve the guys, especially too, like because the one thing I wanted to avoid with this that I ran into with like the 50 greatest players list, I don't want this to be my opinion of like who I think because <laughs> naturally, like I have guys in the league I like way more than another guy, or like there's just guys like I mean there's just teams I just don't interact with all the pro teams like there's I mean there's 200 plus guys I just can't interact with right. all of them, so naturally there's guys that I gravitate and kind of go towards more. I don't want that to like infect what I'm. I'm doing right. Um, so that's why I'm trying to bring in guys like Maddie, Tom, Rich, guys that are just watching a ton of games that can just, you know, like Maddie doesn't care who wins best Dorito player. Maddie just, you know, he'll he get knows who's opinion. playing well though. Yeah, for sure. Like, but he's not going to like, yeah, he's not going to say like, Oh, you know what? Well, I like, you know, I like Dalton. So I'm going to vote for Dalton. Like Maddie's mm -hmm. just going to give his opinion on who's playing well and who's not. And you yeah. know, he sees tens of thousands of hours. He knows every little detail, every little thing. So involving guys like that, I think will help. Um, and yeah, like what I, what you said too, is a good point. Like, I don't think there's guys going out and hitting extra reps on the field or like punching the punching bag training to try to be the best Dorito player award winner. But again, it's an organic thing. We're just go out and play your game. And I just want to recognize the guys that are, you know, the mm -hmm. best. And just that's put in the I work, just put in the work yeah. and, and be passionate. And what comes comes it, it's you know what's going to happen is going to happen and uh you know talking back with maddie it too it's such a privilege whenever he says that i was like a player of his that he really liked watching um because he watched so much paintball it was mm -hmm. cool to be kind of a brush of fresh air um whenever uh you know i would be able to be on the field and, and have him say something about me it was just it's just it's so uh you know i don't know thinking about it it's thinking about it, it you know and talking we talk so lightly about these iconic guys um mm -hmm. talking about marcus talking about alex frazy um uh is my mic still there I feel yeah like I you're good man it. okay um i just lost it for a second my headphones but you know talking about these iconic guys and 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 doing it in a way of like they're our friends and mm -hmm. at one point in time it was like they were guys that i was like wanted to be and I wanted mm -hmm. to strive to to play with or play even play against and uh, and it's just cool to be at the level that you're at and to be able to connect with guys like that and continue the paintball storytelling uh, that needs to happen and that needs to come to life and be solidified uh, through uh, through words and text and and, and uh, the internet.
Yeah, for sure. And I think um, the awards thing for me, too, is kind of almost a way for me to do stats without stats. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, again, one of the I think you've mentioned this a couple of times. One of the biggest things we're missing in the game is just like relative and like readable statistics. Yeah, because, again, everything in paintball is so opinion based. It's easy to say, like, hey, player X is the best guy in the world at doing this. But, you know, if we had stats that said, no, he isn't, there's like 10 people that are outperforming him. Um, I think this kind of gives me like a pseudo stats type thing from a historical standpoint. Because, you know, five years from now, when we look back at this year's awards, you know, I can look and say this guy, you know, a panel of really qualified people all said this guy was the best at what he did. So in a yeah. way, it's a statistic that we can look back on. Um, just because, um, I mean, you kind of mentioned like when you were playing and looking up to these guys. I mean, there was a ton of guys during your era that were incredibly good players that just didn't get talked about. And, mm-hmm. you know, we don't even – no one even mentions these guys now. Like when you talk legendary all-time players, I mean like – when I looked, when I did my list of 50 greatest players, like John Richardson is my number one go-to for like obscure guys no one talked about that was just like an animal. Mm-hmm. Like just, I mean, even now, like he's so, so good now. And he's like in his 40s and like hasn't played for 10 years. And he's still, I bet you he could still go out on in a pro roster right now and, you know, do impactful type of John Richardson moves. Yeah. Uh, but he's a pro example because I mean like, when you guys were in your the prime of like that excessive days, I mean, there was like five guys, six guys you'd name on that roster before JR's name came up, mm-hmm. but he was arguably the best player on that team. And I think that's what I ultimately I want to do with these awards is like be able to recognize like the JR's of the modern league. And, you know, that's not to say I'm looking for like these fucking obscure guys. Like <laughs> if Ryan Greenspan goes out and he's the best player in the world, he's the best player in the world. I'm not going to get, you know, we're yeah. not going to give to some random guy just because, um, but again, it, it at least opens the door that we can have these conversations and tell these stories. I think I was talking, it was with you, where um, we were talking about the, M- not the MVP award, but the, the the best move award. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were kind of talking about how obscure that is, because the best move always went to a guy who was in the finals, right? And mm-hmm. majority of the time, was it not like on the winning team, too? Like, yeah, it's always it's it's you know it seems like that's what it gravitates to. But you mentioned this to me when we were talking in Chicago. I mean, like when we were there Saturday, there was like in, there was a couple insane moves, and they not a word gets said about. It. I mean, there was I'm trying to think who it was. Well, think um, of Alex. It was some. He got MVP. Yeah. But do you remember the? I forget what point it was. On I think it was on Saturday. He had a five pack against yeah, huge against i forget who he said it was but i mean i don't know how much better of a move you can have than, than a five pack <laughs> in a five man like game so uh yeah. yeah and even like moves like the move of the game type thing to me can even be like a opinion based thing because like so obviously the move alex made that day was like it was amazing like he shot all five guys but the assumption is like we expect Dynasty to go do some crazy shit like that. Mm-hmm. I look back at like an ML Kings game where Kyle Berry went out and shot four Dynasty guys in a game and he just so happened to lose a one-on-one against Marcelo. Mm-hmm. Like from a perspective standpoint, look, I mean, that's insane. I mean, this is like essentially one of the lowest ranked teams in the league and this guy came out and shot almost the entire team of some of the best players on earth that won the event. Like, yeah. But, you know, no one says a word about because they lost the match seven to two and, you know, no one cares. So but um, I, th- I think it's a way to recognize that. Exactly. And I think what needs to happen is that needs to be marked. I don't know if it's Maddie's job or who who it would be, but I think it's somebody needs to mark that time or that point or something because you now that award 
if it has any weight to it, um, now has that much more validity because it's, you're, mm-hmm. you are truly – and I always thought, I always thought that they should have did something like you – with how quickly they can like turn around replays and stuff like that, if you can mark those out and cut those in and batch those to like maybe yeah. do maybe do best move of um, – best move of Sat Friday – and mm-hmm. then do a best move of Saturday and then do best move of Sunday and then um, have an accumulation of either those three and then have everybody vote mm-hmm. who watches the webcast or have people and then you and then yeah then you can vote on those like X amount of moves during each day and then that could you could vote down to those top three mm-hmm. and then vote best move of the tournament out of those three but then have people who are watching the webcast be involved in that. And I think that would be something really cool and something that people can be, can get into because everybody wants to be involved, right? I don't care who you are. You have, everybody wants to put a finger on, you know, on something and have some, something to do with it. And that's why I always thought, even though Trozen is doing a great job at building fields, I always thought uh, it'd be kind of cool for people to design their own fields and then have the, community submit have them submit them and then have the community vote like obviously have like like you said like a panel of guys pick out a field out of all the ones that come in let's do a top 10 vote down to five and then have those five be the season um but then you Mm -hmm. don't know which one you're gonna have for that so this could all be like preseason stuff have everybody submit one vote it down um to me i think that's really cool Yeah, to me, I think that's really cool just because um, I might be in the minority with it. I don't think the whole, like, bring paintball to people that don't know what the hell it is crowd, get it on, like, ESPN. I don't really agree with that crowd. I don't mm-hmm. get it. I'm always big in the school. Like, let's just make it fun for the people that care about this game. Yeah. And I think doing an idea like that where you make, like, a community-driven response to, like, actually have a finger on, like, how this season or event would play out would be cool because i mean you know what you said with like move of the day it'd be super simple for them to put together a cut of like three to five moves and then just have like a poll right on the nxl facebook right on sunday say Mm -hmm. you know what do you guys think was the best move of the day instead of just making it like because you know obviously the nxl uh, and go sports want to you know they want to promote good storytelling which maddie does an amazing job with absolutely um but like you said it doesn't have to be done in the finals because i mean like what's better having something where you just pick a random move from the finals and say that was the best move because it's the finals and they won or is a storyline of like Philly 2019 where the golden barrel game literally came down to the final game of like overtime with X factor and red Legion and Mm -hmm. Archie won it. Like literally the last kill of the game won the (laughs) MVP award. Like I think that, is cooler than just saying like, Hey, this is the finals force this on. Like, obviously if it's, if there's an, if Alex goes out, has a five pack in the finals, it's no question, but mm-hmm. I don't think it's, you know, you don't want to overlook these really crazy feats and accomplishments. Um, cause again, seven man did that really good. Like the broadcast they did for seven man always highlighted the big moves no matter what. Cause I mean, when you look at extreme sports, the stuff that sells is those, Oh wow moments. Like, mm-hmm. cause you know I mean? For the average viewer, no one cares about laning or like where they're shutting off, like they're shutting off the God from this. Like no one gives a shit about that when yeah. it comes out. Like a player, of course, like I care. I enjoy watching the chess of it. Yeah, um, the jobs. But the wow, 
yeah, the wow moments were itself. It's like the same way when you watch skateboarding. Like, what's more interesting, like a super technical street run or like huge big air verts where they're going 40 feet to the air? Like, people want to see those big wow moments. Yeah. Um, and I think if they could do like what you're saying, where they did these kind of community-driven like highlights of the moves of the day, that'd be a great way to give those oh wow moments that then you know interest people outside of the game to come in and learn why it's fun, rather than mm-hmm. just saying like. Let's try to force the product on the throat of people that don't understand what it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, you have you have people who contribute obviously to the pot or not to the podcast contribute <laughs> to the webcast um, because they're watching the webcast, right? Yeah. Um, and then you can you can have them feel involved by actually like having having them be a part of an outcome of an award or or whatever it may be at the uh, at the end and. You know, that could be possibly even like maybe an MVP thing. You know, you get to yeah. vote on who the MVP is where where you have names submitted by Maddie and, and whom else ever uh, who they think mm-hmm. it should be. And then you can have the community vote or, the, you know, the, the viewers vote. Um, yeah, but- I really think that'd be awesome. I mean, even like MVP, I mean, like I'll ask you, does the MVP exclusively have to be on the event winning team? I mean, like if there's a guy that goes through four prelim games and it's just a total monster, but they just miss the cut, like, is it not worth talking? I mean, because like, I mean, look at LVL. I mean, they had two players that essentially carried that team into Sunday um, mm-hmm. that were just dominating the event. Like, is it not worth talking about how valuable they were? Because I mean, like, look at like, the NFL, the NBA, are they always picking the Super Bowl winning best player to win the season MVP or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever it may be? Like, you know, do you think it's worth looking at non-winning teams for MVPs? I think there should be a finals MVP and overall MVP. Um, maybe I should word that differently. A finals MVP and a uh, a weekend MVP. Maybe something, maybe something, yeah. something like that too. And then, and then I think in reiterating it again, not solely having it on Maddie and all the production guys to, to choose who it is, but put it in the lap of the, of the community and the viewers and the ones who want to be involved, put it in their lap to really choose and who they think it should be and, and have their involvement yeah. in their say. Absolutely. Well, maybe they'll pick that idea. Maybe I'll send Tom Cole 20 emails and see if he, uh, he picks it up. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm like, I'm, I'm the podcast that just kind of lays low and, uh, you know, kind of shoots out ideas here and there. They stick to the wall, you know, whatever they stick to the wall. Well, Hey, I'm hoping, um, I'm hoping at the end of the year we get a little less than low key. Cause I'm hoping we can do the, uh, the award show announcement through the show. Uh, just because you're basically the one truly impartial podcast where you have no eggs in the basket you need to see win. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm like, I don't really have a bias, I guess, at, at that point. Yeah, I think it'd be cool. I mean, we can, um, if you're open to it, it'd be awesome towards the end of the year. I mean, we can, once the uh, World Cup's over, we can, you know, have a sit down and kind of, I was hoping uh, the way I wanted to do it was to kind of go through. Uh, each nominee and kind of talk about them a little bit just to give them their little bit of shine in their moment and then we can kind of go through each category and you know announce winners and stuff and I think that'd be really cool I'd be honored dude I would I, For sure, I would dude. definitely be honored uh, I'm assuming that's what you nice. want to talk I'll have about to, uh, <laughs> yeah dude maybe I'll have to uh, fly out or uh, drive out to Ohio you're not that far from me I'm like 
in the central Pennsylvania, so I'm like not that far. Let's see. I think last time I went to Cleveland, it took me like three and a half hours to get to Cleveland or something. For me, Cleveland's like an hour and a half away. Maybe I can come out. We can do a live show. (laughs) That would be sweet, dude. I would. I'd have to figure out how to do it uh, from my end, but I mean, we could. I always wanted to do a show some like in a somewhere else besides my basement corner would be cool. Um, <laughs> your basement corner is awesome, man. You got all the sick jerseys up. And... Yeah, well, this perspective is cool. I want that. Cool. Uh, I want it's... that jersey so bad. That the four one nine one. Yeah, it's the awesome. microwave one, dude. Yeah, it's sad. All the microwave uh, heat press is all like tearing away. That's the one thing that sucks with the old jerseys, man. All the ones in my collection, I'm so afraid to wear because I'm like, if I get shot wrong or I just have to wash it, it's like I'm risking that heat press gone. I know, and it, well, and the thing is, is I should well, one, I was a kid, so I was like, wash dry, wash dry, wash dry. <laughs> um, but, but as I as I got older, I was like, no, you gotta hang everything. You gotta hang it, let, yeah. it, let it air dry. Because well, when you're a kid, you're not thinking about, hey, I want to hang up this jersey one day because I'm gonna be, a, you know, an all-time great paintball attacker. Like you're not thinking about that. Yeah, and that was you're such just uh, a thinking dirty about kid. how the hell you're gonna go up to the corner with your uh, 50 pound <laughs> Tipman 98 setup. Oh my god, it was ridiculous. I don't know how I played with it. <laughs> um, it was a rifle, but it, I was such a dirty kid too because I would let my stuff get to the point where I was like, okay, I need to wash this or it's growing mold. Or so I got I gotta get because I just I played all the time and I just I was a dirty kid, um, but yeah now I just I'm so like clean and methodical with all my stuff but yeah it's it sucks because I I would love to wear like the Cody jersey or the the Geis jersey but the Frazy I'm gonna wear that at the next practice I'm gonna wear the Frazy jersey because it's all sublimated the whole thing and there's yeah. no padding no nothing on it but um, what about that McLaughlin is that a heat press or a sublimated? That one's sublimation. That one's a uh, man. Who made that jersey? I don't know. There was like a, a a pattern of jerseys that came through that were like they, the the material wasn't really that stretchy. It was really kind of stiff mm-hmm. and like it didn't have any give to it. But those old school the the JT ones um, were always they were so nice because they were like they were light and they were really mm-hmm. kind of breezy and airy. That Alex is like a fucking blanket. Um, <laughs> that Micah one's awesome though. He's yeah. uh, he's one I'm eventually gonna get a story on because uh, he's a part of that you know first wave of like young guys that came into professional paintball. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like he came in at 15 when like the early entry age was like 30 at that point for pro paintball players. So he has yeah. a really cool story as well. He is a super interesting character, man. He's he's a really good friend of mine as well. Uh, got to know him, and he was one of the guys who definitely took me under his wing. And kind of showed me the ways, man. It was there's so much there's so much about the sport that you have to absorb and do it quickly if you want to go up through the ranks. Yeah, and I mean you got like the perfect incubator. I mean you had like Rich Telford in the early years, and then you went to Team Fun and had all you know you had Micah <laughs> and Maddie and like all these guys that are just like an encyclopedia of how to play the game. And, yeah, yeah, you know. Combining that insane athleticism and you're good to go. Yeah, right. It was just, it was, it was fun. I just like to make it fun. Um, so where can people, uh, where can people find all of your work and uh, follow you on social media? Uh, yeah. So iconicpaintball.com is my main website where I publish all like my long format kind of history stuff. That's from 
I'm doing the awards and everything's like that. Um, on social media, uh, I'm mostly on Instagram. I don't do much Facebook stuff. It's uh, QNADU underscore PB. Um, you know, pretty straightforward. I post everything and anything to my personal one, whether it's like super old guns I collect, LVRs that Carl wants to buy because <laughs> he's going to play pro soon, I think. Those are the nastiest, um, dude. The LVRs, I think, are the sickest looking body styles that the LVRs Yeah, have. that one is uh, – I always keep try to keep at least one around when I can. They're just so sick, and they just shoot so good. They're uh, so They're nice. Unfortunately, my Twister LVs have taken over like my LV racks. I don't have any LVRs right now, but – yeah. After you message me, I'm like, huh, Carl's right. I got to get another one. <laughs> I know. I was, I, as soon as I saw that one, I was like, ah, I missed my tiger stripe one. That one was sweet. Yeah. Your old one was sick. I've been trying to find that to buy it. I don't know who has it though. Oh, dude, I forget who has it, but he just saw me. I think he, he just saw me like ICC and he was like, Hey man, uh, I'm the one who bought your, your tiger stripe LVR. I still have it. And it still shoots amazing. That thing was so sick. You should have never got rid of that. That was that was definitely one where I was like, I should have kept that one. But dude, not to keep you not to keep you on. I've been no, wanting to ask this. Do you have any gun? Do you have any guns from your uh, playing days? Like obviously, when you were playing and you were a young kid, you're probably trying to just sell them as fast as you can without getting in trouble. Mm-hmm. Do you have any from your days through that you regret getting rid of? Well, that one for sure. Uh, the LVR. Uh, I actually. Man, it's it's tough because I do I do regret all of them. I wish I I would have kept all of them. But my the very first LV one uh, that had my design on it, uh, I would have liked to kept uh, to keep. Same thing with the three point five. That one with Indian the headdress and everything, I, I mm-hmm. should have kept that one. But I also I thought about it like this, like who knows if they're going to be making parts for it and everything by the time, let's say my kids want to play or are allowed to play and, and are even interested maybe in playing. But then I thought about it. I'm like, man, I get all these people asking me about it. And for me, it's just sitting on the shelf, right? Just doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, dude, if somebody can get something out of this, like on the field and playing with it and like get, have it contribute to them in some way. Um, then all the better. I'd, I'd rather have it do that than sit here and collect dust. I'd rather have it go out and do its job with somebody. Yeah, I got you. That's an admirable way to look at it. Well, <laughs> yeah. what about uh, what about that Frazy jersey? It's not out doing its job. I can go do its job with it. No, that's one's, that one's perfect right where it is right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have my – Yeah, uh, that's awesome, but yeah. My Tiger Stripe 98 I still have, and it still holds air too. Your original one? My manual one, yeah. Can you go get it, or is it far? No, 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 no. It's I, I, it's right here. Hold on one second. Let me see it. So I don't have um, I don't have an, an ASA on the bottom of it, but yeah, this is uh, dude. That's so amazing. And I used to have a, a Bad Boys Toys sticker right here, and it still smooth and just like butter. And I had a just a, a dovetail like flat rail on the bottom with just a, a Smart Parts on off, 
and do just straight manual. I had to put, I did the little O-ring do dilly right here. So when you close it, <laughs> it doesn't rattle around. Um, it's weird. Dude. Man, when, I can't imagine how you guys played with those things, man. <laughs> I don't know. You couldn't, I mean, you couldn't really use the E-bolt because, I mean, you got like two pods out of it if you put the E-bolt on it. True. And it, it sucked the battery dry too. Um, but uh, I, I shot an E-bolt for a little bit. Not much. I tried to shoot this thing as much as possible just because it just worked all the time and it was just a tank. But uh, but when the, when I did when they made the e bolts efficient and work really well, they were nice because the, I threw a halo on there which was thirty five pounds and <laughs> uh, so, and it's so lopsided because all the weights off to the one side. God, dude, you I had to hold, when I was shooting right handed, I had to like grip it like way up here. Because it was just like that's I why I don't know how you snapshot with that thing, man. Like snap shooting with a halo on that must have been brutal. Yeah, in the snake on your knees. Like I just, thinking about it, like it just gives me anxiety. I'm like, how did I even have confidence with this thing? <laughs> like trying to go to work. Yeah. Hey, and kids these days complain about like a two ounce difference on a gun setup or something. So oh, it's wild. Wow. Times we live in, right? It and thinking about <laughs> it too, like I. I I question no, nothing against how you did it or anything like that, but I think it's just the term itself bothers me, and I'm not – I know why, but it's like when you, whenever somebody says of all time, it really mm-hmm. – I, 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 I always think of like maybe of their era because I think about it and we all we have is speculation, right, of like – if Oliver could really handle um, players of today or if Oliver could really handle players before his time and, or, or who name a player, you know, and then, but then, you know, have that 10 to 15 year gap or um, uh, time period and, and kind of pull that and you do it in whatever sport, you know, they say MJ greatest of of all time or whatever. But I think there's, you know, there, there is, there's eras and there's certain players that play that players play above because they are recognized because of it. Mm-hmm. But can they compete of players today? Or, you know, is it, I don't know. It's just kind of weird when I think about it. Like, yeah. And that was, um, I was actually think I thought about that a lot when I was writing about, it. I had a conversation with Alex on it and kind of the way or the result I came with talking to him about it was this, like, the guys who were truly the greatest had all those intrinsic factors that went above like, you know, athleticism, speed, any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So the way I kind of just looked at it, like I'll use like Shane Pastana as an example because that's what I talked about. If yeah. you take 18-year-old Shane Pastana and drop him on an X-ball field today, I will put money on it that that guy will become a, the greatest player of all time, just like he did in the '90s. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I try to look at the guys that way. And like you're a good example too. If you're go back to 15 years old, and I put you on today's field. I'd be willing to bet by the time you're 18, you'd be on a pro roster again, tearing it up. Like I try to look at it that way, because yeah. obviously, like when you look at like like I put guys like you know like Fred Schultz, he was in like the top 15. Obviously, if I take Fred Schultz from 1987 and put him on an extra field, he's going to get fucking slaughtered in today's game. Mm -hmm. But I look at it the way of like, okay, if I would take him when he started this game and drop him into how the modern game is, he would probably go right on to being that same 
dude pushing paintball all over the world, being a top pro player in the world. Like yeah. I kind of try to look at it that way. I didn't look at it like, okay, if I took 1997 Bob Long and put him against like 2005 <laughs> Oliver, who's going to win? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because it's just – again, like you said, you can't compare errors. I mean if you take Marcelo right now, there's – if you take any player that existed before 2010, I don't think there's one player that can beat Marcelo in any facet of like the support role. Mm -hmm. But you know what I mean? Like so it's hard to take like right now. So yeah, I struggled back and forth with that. So I understand your, your concern using that term. <laughs> yeah, I just – I mean obviously you know all of them are um, amazing. It's just uh, just interesting the time span. Of, of players you know mm -hmm. and how many there were and the different uh aspects and what they contributed to the to the game itself is uh is just very interesting yeah it's one of those things like if i wanted to i probably could have i was actually at the beginning i was ta thinking about just doing like a top 200 because i'm like i think i have to but i'm like after i did the first 50 i'm like this is i mean i would literally be i'd put 100 hours of work into that to get to, to do 200 <laughs> players it's like because yeah. i mean Doing a list like that was somewhat easy for me because I have such a like large repository of worthless paintball information over the last 20 <laughs> years. And like, I just remember all of it. Yeah. And then I have like an insane, like basically every magazine that ever existed. I have every video. So like when I was picking these guys, I was going back, watching them, reading old like articles and old magazines about like, wh what was their impact at that time? Like, how do I remember them when it was 2002? Like I tried to look at it as impartial as I could doing it, but yeah. It's mm -hmm. uh, it's hard because, like you said, there's just so many guys that could be on the list. I mean, even when you get, I think as soon as I got outside the top ten, I'm like, I could put, I could pick 200 guys and fit any of them into this, the remaining 40 spots. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah so, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Quinn, I mean, this has been an amazing conversation, man. I, I please continue doing yes, what you're doing. Fine. Yeah, it's uh, it's thank you so much for doing this, uh, one. But uh, continue what you're doing. It's it's great. These stories need to be told. Uh, and need to be told in this manner um, as well with you know, not only the podcasts that are going out that, that are getting your stories out, but what your stories and your writing is doing to help the community um, and to help out paintball just in general is, uh, is great. And I just really uh, hope for the best. And I think you're on the right path, man. Yeah, for sure, man. I appreciate it. And again, thanks for uh, everything you've done for paintball with your podcast and being one of my heroes growing up in the game, trying to emulate you. And uh, hopefully we can uh, connect here at the end of the year again and we can do this uh, awards debut through your uh, your show. Absolutely. Let's uh, let's stay in touch. Let's uh, let's get together more often and, and kind of connect even before the end of the year happens. For sure, dude. I'll be in touch. I appreciate everything. Awesome. Thank you for your time, Quinn. We'll talk to you soon. Great. Have a good night. Later. Thank you so much, Quinn. It was a great pleasure to have you on and chat. It's uh, it's cool that we were kind of growing up in the same era and that you could recall so much because I have such a hard time to, uh, you know, recalling things. But um, but yeah, it was a pleasure talking, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you also to our sponsors, Charm City Paintball. Like I said, Charm City Paintball on his Instagram and Facebook. You can find all of his newest creations that he posts that are available. If you have any questions, go ahead and shoot him a DM or um, on either platform. And you can really find what you're looking for as far as headband or headgear goes. He has all kinds of amazing creations, and he's constantly putting out 
some amazing headbands and headgear. So check it out, Charm City Paintball. Also, Melavio, the number one CBD company in my eyes that also has to do with paintball. They do a lot of paintball work. They are at, uh, last I saw them, they were at ICC, but they go to some regional events. They are in the paintball community and support paintball teams. So please make sure you return the favor and support them and what they are doing. And if you are at all curious at trying CBD, make sure you head over to Melaville first. And I promise you will very much enjoy their product and uh, you will not be let down. So make sure you also use the 15% promo code, capital T-P-O-P, and you'll get 15% off your entire order. Give it all a try. They have much, much, much product that you can try out and see what you like. Give it a little dabble dib, diddle dib dabble. Thank you to Melavio. And thank you again to everybody out there listening. If you are at all curious, we have a, uh, we have a, website brought to you by constant pursuit that is the playing on podcast.com it has all kinds of information pictures uh, episodes up there and also if you have any questions or inquiries you can write me on there and i'll answer them also if you guys are looking to support the podcast in any way we have a patreon at patreon.com slash the playing on podcast that you can actually enter into different tiers of support for the podcast with which is much appreciated and uh, even just listening to these podcasts in general is greatly appreciated so thank you all so much for the support one way or the other and it is always a pleasure to uh to be able to communicate with you guys and hear what you guys have to say and what you want to listen to so thank you all so much please do not text and drive keep your eyes on the road and listen to podcasts like this one And we'll see you again here soon on the Playing On Podcast. Peace!